The Protect Your Neck Podcast. 2017 year-end MMA award show. Special guests, Jordan Killian and Matthew Wells. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Up, you savages. This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst whose work you can find at MMA Junkie. But this is the program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, where we usually break down high-level MMA. We threw a top five episode at you uh, last week. Thank you, Zane Simon from Bloody Elbow, for that. And today, I brought a... uh, We started off the new year with with some new guests, but I'm bringing it back strong with the classic co-host... With the most, Jordan Killian at my side for the year-end awards today. What's up at J. Killian MMA? Take it back to the old school because I'm an old fool who's so cool. What up, Dan Tom? Fuck yeah, man. I'm, I'm no glad. Tag team. I, yes. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't ask for anything more, man, to recap uh, to recap, to recap the year. And, and, and Well, actually, I, I could ask for one more thing. One more thing with, uh, with, uh, with uh, a Matthew Wells more thing. Matthew Wells, how about that? That's what I was trying to say. And Luke, rocking the Hakuna Matata shirt. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. That was a that was a blizzard. Uh, there's there are blizzards <laughs> happening, all, happening over. all over. But, uh, but, 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 uh, but Mr. Wells is Mr. making Wells it through right now. It's like that scene in uh, what's that Quentin Tarantino movie where we're all in the cabin and then one guy busts through the snow and. Uh, the hateful eight. The hateful eight. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. It's like yeah. that right now. We're, we're right now. We're assembling. We're assembling in a log cabin in the internet. It's like the hateful eight, <laughs> and Matthew Wells just joined the party. Matt, yes. Matt, you there, brother? I'm here. Can you hear me, my man? Yes, sir. Loud and clear. Beautiful. Beautiful. That that was Beautiful. awesome. <laughs> I, got, I got caught uh, in the football game, and I was like, oh shit. Oh no. <laughs> oh yeah. No worries I, yeah, at all, man. Yeah. What game's going on? That time of year. Atlanta and um, LA the Rams still going. It's it's basically over. Atlanta's up thirteen with two minutes left. Is that is, is that is that good for Mr. Wells or bad? I'm not I, I'm not sure familiar with who you follow these guys. Okay. You're not sure. Look at that giant thing behind him. That huge star. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just fucking. He seems like, yeah. and not not in a front running way or anything like that. But uh, Matt seems like a, a guy with sports interests all over the place in many 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 areas and many sports. So. I don't know about all of that. I mean, you know, <laughs> I keep I keep up with what's going on. That's that's about it, dude. Shoot, more than me. I mean, even with just keeping up with MMA, it felt almost hard to uh, you know start 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 recapping things that weren't like. You know, we're outside three or four months old. Is that an effect from the sport guys, or do you guys have that kind of same short-term memory in regards to an annual recap of this whole year? Uh, no, I had a really hard time when when you sent the message about here's the categories that I want to go over. I had to think back. I'm like, was that fight this year or 16? <laughs> yeah. And I had I had to do a lot of looking up as for certain fights because I have a terrible memory with that. I guess. 
Yeah, I, I went back and I literally opened up every event page from UFC this year, and I was like, okay, I don't want to miss anything. Yeah, I went. I, I did the old Wikipedia it. event pay, event listing and started uh, linking yep. and going through <laughs> just to see. It's a great resource. Yep, yep. And I was telling yeah. uh, Jordan um, off air. We're recording now, but it's it's casual. We're, it's a party here, Matt. But I was telling Jordan before we recorded uh, the listeners. It you know it, this was a, a year where I think. A lot of people were comparing the fruitful selections of last year compared to this year, and I think this year kind of funneled a lot of the same selections, and the listeners might have come to a lot of the same selections we might have, but Mm -hmm. they also came strong with some honorable mentions. Jordan said he had some honorable mentions as well. I'm sure you have some chambered as well, Matt. So uh, when we go through here, we're going to tackle the seven said semi-unique categories and after our official, you know, votes and 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 are uh, are talked about, you guys can feel free to shoot these honorable mentions because, to be honest, I think the, the little honorable mentions, the the little engines that could uh, stories or scenarios are, are well worth talking about this year. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt, man. There, there's a lot. Like going back through it, I was just like, man. The the thing for me that kind of caught my eye is how many people went three and zero this year in the UFC. There's a lot. There were. There, yeah, that that's uh, that's one thing that caught my eye too. I was like, holy shit! I didn't realize Vulcan Ozdemir fought three times this year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a few guys like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I believe uh, I believe he got I believe he got some uh, I believe he got some love. I believe he got some love. But uh, yeah, but hey, let's uh, like I was also telling Jordan and telling tell, let's you know telling the listeners now we're just gonna kind of cruise through the the. the Seven categories from top to bottom, and and uh, and and we'll we'll get you uh, chiming along because I, if you did chime along, I had the you know voting up at the PYM podcast. If you follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, you guys were pretty active on there all week. Also, before we get into the awards, uh, let me apologize for my, my my energy level a little bit right now. Uh, also, people who follow on Twitter will know that uh, I actually didn't end up going to California. Uh, your boy got got torn down by whatever flu. It seems to be going around nationwide, guys. Everybody, everybody's mm-hmm. got some form of it, and and it's even fucking me, people up, man. Yeah, man. Even me. I was just telling Jordan, like I'm that asshole. It's like I don't get sick, and uh, the two times <laughs> I got sick this year were ironically the two times uh, that I had to leave town. Now the first time, thankfully, because it was for work, I was able to push through. Um, but this time I couldn't, and that's like the worst time to get sick, right? Not just when you're going to leave town or when some, but like within that. Well, both times were within that 12 to 24 hour frame period where your tickets or everything is set, hotel, and you have to go through a cancel and, and you know, and that whole stress of can I make it? Okay, I'm going to, I got you got one more night of sleep to feel better. Let's do it. All right, here goes. Gambling, uh, you know, 50 on red. Let's feel better. We're not canceling our <laughs> shit. And then you wake up and you feel worse. So, I mean, just kind of irony essentially w- would be the word of it. And maybe I'll get into it in a later episode how crazy kind of this week's really been. But it's not a, it's not a bad thing, um, you know. The, the, there was also some, you know uh, some good news uh, this week as well. So hopefully, no matter you know any of the listeners listening, uh, if you're still recovering from New Year's, no matter where you are, hopefully uh, you're kicking ass in 2018 while we recap the last of 2017. All right, guys, let's start off with scrap of the year. Um, we're just going to take turns here, kind of like a top five episode. Leading off, so so go ahead and get your guys chambered. I may, I may call on you, but I'll actually I'll I'll probably start this one off, um, and I'll start this one off lightly because I, I have a feeling that that we're all um, 
we're all going to be, you know, either be on the same page or have something at least to say about this fight. And I'll also start yeah. this one off is because this was, out of all seven categories, uh, four of the listeners' categories matched mine, and this was one of them. Uh, and this was an obvious pick. Even Hipster Dan uh, had a hard time trying to be hipster about it, and I, I actually did. I did on, on Matt on, on Matt's show, by the way. If you're if you're not listening, go go check out the uh, the Slip and Dip podcast. And Jordan has a podcast yeah. as well with Sam Alvey that he'll be plugging here uh, in, in a second, or at least at the end of the show. But but I I, I did I did mention Whitaker and, and and Romero, and hopefully maybe we could talk about that a little later. But it's hard to overlook Johnson versus Gaethje, and and <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll let you guys maybe talk a bit on, on on the fight as well. But I'm the technical guy, and I'm supposed to you know oh you know the the left counter cross was there that we thought was going to be there for Johnson because Gaethje's aggressive and all that stuff was there, right? But it wasn't even the fight. It was the fact that after the fight where both guys might as well have been knocked out because they technically both were during that fight. And yeah. uh, But it was, it, was that, it was that climbing the cage that, that Justin Gaethje has always done if you followed his career. But it was extra special because it was like, you know, it was like it, the fight wasn't over. His UFC debut was not complete until he made that scale across the cage. And he barely saved enough energy for it. And when you leave it all in there, that term is so cliche, but for such a cliche term to be demonstrated in such a oddly artistic way of climbing and flipping off of a cage, it, it really sealed the deal when I went back to look at this. And it, it's so non-hipster of me, I know, but God damn it. Gaethje versus Johnson gets it for me. Uh, jo- uh, Jordan, you want to go? You want to weigh in on that next or what you got, what yours Dude. was? That was definitely one of the ones that I thought of, and it's not what I wound up going with, but that fight proved a couple things to me. A, both those dudes are just insanely tough. Not, not that we didn't already know that, but Justin Gagey brings out the dog in everyone. Like, Michael Johnson hadn't really been in a scrap like that before. He'd always been pretty technical, and, like, his fights, uh, he usually fought pretty pretty methodically, pretty smart. Look at the, uh, like, the Barboza fight for example, but uh, he gets in there with Gagey and those dudes just throw down like they're drinking at a bar and somebody talk <laughs> bad about somebody's girl. Like it was a brawl. So I have no problem with that being the scrap of the year. It was a great fight. Nice. Yeah. That, that, that fight was amazing, man. It was one of those fights, especially uh, looking at this, look, looking back on the card. I remember that night it being um, a fight card that was playing out really kind of slow and everyone was like, Oh, Johnson versus Gaethje's that main event. Can it deliver? And then, of course, it just absolutely blows everybody's minds. And it was like, thank God we, you know, we stayed up and waited for this fight to play out because it absolutely delivered on all the expectations. And it was one of the frustrating things for me about this fight was that Michael Johnson had that fight in the bag if he would have just yeah. stayed, if he would have just stayed calm and stayed collected. But he was like, Justin Gaethje dragged you into this war. You're gonna yeah, fight on Justin Gaethje's terms. And you know what? He said, what about my mom? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's what it was. Exactly. That's what Justin Gaethje does. That was his debut in the UFC, man. That was his first, like, that's the first time a lot of people saw him fight. Like, obviously, we had all seen him fight right. in other promotions. But that's the first time most people saw Gaethje fight, and they're like, holy shit, this is a savage. This is a caveman. And he just made Michael Johnson, a normally extraordinarily cerebral fighter, really technical guy, just get in an absolute slugfest with him. So, it, yeah, absolutely insane. You know what's also kind of cool is uh, I'm, I'm in the middle of listening to that uh, recent Rogan podcast with Navinsky. I don't know if you guys listen to that one. but I haven't heard that one yet. Navinsky is talking about uh, fighters who the only fighter he he is he uh, feels like he has not a sense of fear uh, walking to the cage yet it was uh, Justin Gaethje for that fight. He was blown away this 
how the just vacant and focused that guy was for that fight. But uh, but Jordan, what was yours? Uh, I'm sorry, was yours different? And and if if so, uh, would you mind teeing it up for us? Yeah, man. So that was definitely one that, that popped in my mind. There were three fights that popped into my mind. That was one of them. Uh, I won't say the other one in case Matt picks it, but my my fight, uh, my scrap of the year was, and maybe, maybe it's suffering from recency bias because it just happened in December, but it's Yancey Medeiros and Alex Cowboy Oliveira. That <laughs> yes, fight was yes. nuts back and forth. Thought both guys were going to finish it multiple times, and uh, uh, obviously Medeiros winds up finishing it. It was back and forth. I, I was a big fan of both those guys going in, as I think both of you guys probably are. They weren't big names that a lot of people knew and so that's that's another reason that i liked it is because it prompted two guys who are typically middle of the card fighters that don't get a lot of love into being kind of everyone was talking about that fight for about a week so everyone knows Maderos, everyone knows cowboy Oliveira now and that it was just a crazy fight so that's my scrap of the year nice yeah, nice man, incredible fight incredible fight that was on my short list too you know trying to trying to narrow down Going back and looking at all the fight of the nights from the previous cards, I was like, "Yeah, that one's definitely on the top three. This one, this one was right up there for me too. Especially like uh, I, I, I classified it as my impulsive pick for for, for scrap of the year, just because, especially uh, scrap, right? And that's why I said scrap and not fight, because you know we'll get to the other categories like technical showcase and whatnot. But usually, fight of the year gets delineated down to the same argument of was it more of a scrap or was it more of a technical showcase and most most camps spend it just kind of tearing each other apart um, mm-hmm. these okay. kind of categories the way we, we designed it kind of alleviate those so you can have a martial artist of the year technical showcase of the year scrap of the year and these all kind of intertwine and not really take away um, from many potential performances and, and for what it's worth it what also justifies uh, your, your pick not that it needs it Jordan but uh it, this was the close second for the listeners, uh, actually, for the listener voting. This this fight came in, came in just a hair behind uh, Gaethje versus Michael Johnson. So again, great, great, great pick, uh, Matt. I don't know if you have anything else to add to that pick, but if you do, go ahead or uh, just tee up, tee up what you had for scrap of the year, my man. Uh, I mean, honestly, my my first pick was going to be you know Johnson versus Gaethje, but I mean there was other ones that came to mind initially. I mean, obviously Alvarez versus Gaethje as well. Yeah. That was a crazy, crazy fight, you know, stupid scrap. And then, of course, another fight Eddie Alvarez was in was that one against Poirier, which yeah. was crazy <laughs> in the you know unfortunate yes. finish. So it's kind of like all these guys are kind of connected in a way. They just have these crazy fights, you know. But uh, one that I think a lot of I, I did see some people mentioning this on their you know year of the end tweets or end of the year tweets rather. Um, Smoker versus Elliot was a hell of one. Like, that just was. crazy, crazy, like, scrambles everywhere, you know. That could probably lean towards more so to, like, the technical side of things because of all the transitions and reversals and everything that you saw in that fight. But mm-hmm. it was just madness. It was just madness. And it was, it was one of those fights you couldn't look away from. Yeah, no, no. And uh, 100% on that, like, and and I think people are, are, are well, I mean, it's it's, a, it's always appreciated, you know, you're easy to appreciate, I should say, the proverbial Cartoon, uh, cartoon, a, a a dust bubble where you see hands and fists flying, right? And, and of course, it's easy to you know enjoy that, but especially you know, I think I think even when you start getting to the scrambles and stuff, and you know, I don't I don't want to start side tangenting or taking away, but I it reminds me, I think you know, the audiences are getting a, a a little better about appreciating those things, and and again, all solid choices there. Sorry, Jordan, you were gonna add something on that one? No, no, no. I was just agreeing with you. I I I think you're right. I think that. 
the the more educated the fan base becomes, the 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 wider the more breadth the term you know fight of the year is going to encompass because you're going to see more technical fights uh, that that people are going to start to appreciate more like the like the Smolka uh, and uh, and Tim Elliott fight guys who grapple really well and transition and scramble well. So I yeah I, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And again, I'm, I'm a, y'all know I'm a fan of the scrambles and and both those guys' games and, and could go on about it. But hopefully, see see more fights like that would be awesome. Also mentioned uh, Justin Gaethje versus Eddie Alvarez, which came in uh, third for our listener votes. And uh, the honorable mention as far as listener votes was Dustin Poirier, another fighter that was mentioned, and his pairing though with Anthony Pettis. Really, Dustin Poirier mm. with anybody, even going back, to, even going back to Jim Miller at UFC 208. I mean, that was a great fight. Uh, so, I mean, it's hard-pressed to find a, a bad fight with some of these guys like Eddie Alvarez, Justin Gaethje, or Dustin Poirier, and, and, and not, be, not, not be impressed. So Yeah. By the way, yeah. all those lightweight fighters, huh? Yeah, not man, so, man. Favorite Division's division, insane. baby. My favorite that's division. That's the sweet spot right there. That's, that's right. the sweet spot. All right. Let, let's move it on to the next topic, guys. That's going to be heartbreak of the year. Matt, you want to uh, kick us off for heartbreak of the year? Oh, wow. Um, heartbreak of the year for me, man. It was one. Um, I don't think it was necessarily one that a lot of people didn't see coming, per se. But heartbreak of the year for me, just because of all the work I did around the pre-fight buildup of this fight, was seeing Junior Dos Santos fall to Stipe Miocic. And the heartbreak that he displayed after the fight as well. Because he was extremely confident. Like, he was coming in this fight feeling he was on yeah. cloud nine. Yeah. You know, Coming in with the with the newborn son and everything like that, he was feeling great about life and confident. And then just to see the fight in the way it was, and him in, literally in tears at the post fight press conference, um, was was pretty heartbreaking for me, man. So I don't know if you know that that caught anybody else's <laughs> eye, but that was one for me, and that was mainly kind of a little bit, like I said, a little bit biased because of all the uh, you know pre fight work and interviews I did with with both of those men beforehand. Man. Yeah, no, that's an underrated one. I I didn't think about that, but you're right. And Junior Dos Santos is one of those dudes where his character like exudes him. Like he's just such a nice, lovable guy. It's been yeah. kind of used and abused, but it's kind of the perfect word for him. And just to see, we were used to seeing that innocent Junior Dos Santos because he is so innocent, and for so long he was the young up and comer. So to see the side of Junior Dos Santos where he's coming down the hill and realizing he's coming down the hill and in a certain mm-hmm. sense, right? That's it's kind of it's kind of crazy to have to see. Yeah, yeah. The, I, I think the hardest thing of immersing myself inside the MMA community has been distancing myself from the fighters because as yeah. a fan, you're allowed to just have favorites and root for guys. But like mm-hmm. when you start to talk to every, you know, you're talking to both guys who are going in a fight, and you're like, "Fuck, they're both nice guys. They both have families," you know. And I, you know, <laughs> that that's one of those ones where it's like, "Shit, I love I've loved Junior Dos Santos forever. He's been one of my favorite fighters forever." And so anytime he loses, it sucks. But now you know you're in it. You're talking to both guys it's like, "Well, I'm also happy for Steve." And so it it sucks, and it's that's been like mm-hmm. hardest thing for me is being able to like distance the 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 editorial mind or you know the the journalistic mind from the the fan side. It's it's so hard to do, man. And like that that's that's a great example of it, man. Because that's if you spend so much time talking about and, and building up and getting interviews with and doing coverage for. It's hard not to to have an emotional emotional investment in something like that. So I feel you on that one. Yeah, man. It's crazy. And like you were saying, with both guys being so nice, you know, when I did those um, those exclusives that you know I was lucky enough to get through the UFC, um, we we're literally, you know, 
sharing the same dinner table, like or lunch table yeah. rather, then Junior's sitting on one end and Stipe's sitting on the other end and they're facing each other, but it's all laughter and jokes and there's like not a, a, a hint of hostility <laughs> between the two men and it's yeah. just like Hey, you guys are gonna punch each other in the face pretty hard in just a couple in like a month, <laughs> you right. know. And it's it's amazing because you know some guys can do that, some guys can't. But when it's two guys that you really do like a lot, and of course one guy is gonna go home with all the heartbreak, it's just you know it's an unfortunate part. Of course, it's a fifty-fifty sport. One guy's going home happy, the other one's not. So, right. Right. By, by the way, great card. Shout out to uh, Dave Madden. Is it? UFC 211 yet or whatever that mm-hmm. that, that shit he was he, yeah. he had out shout out Dave but uh, Jordan do you have uh, anything else to add or do you want to tee up uh, your heartbreak sir no that's a good pick my heartbreak was more it's uh, it's one that I can't say another one I say I didn't see coming because it's it's just prolonged uh, it's prolonging the inevitable it's my heartbreak of the year is the continued decline and destruction of BJ Penn and Leota Machida mm-hmm. specifically uh, two of my all time favorite fighters who keep getting in there and getting their ass kicked uh, Machida comes back from a suspension uh, gets finished by Brunson and now he's coming back to fight again and I'm not very happy about that uh, and the same with BJ Penn, man. BJ BJ goes out there beginning of the year, gets absolutely murked by Yair, Yair Rodriguez in one of the most bizarre uh, matchmaking uh, episodes of matchmaking I've ever seen in UFC history. Uh, you have the, this guy who's on the tail end of his career against one of the best up-and-coming wild strikers. Like, that was a crazy matchup. I don't know why they did that. And then you give BJ a decent matchup in Dennis Seaver, and we've talked about this, Dan. Yeah. That's probably the most winnable fight in this division yes. for him, and, and he couldn't do it. So it's like, it's it's heartbreaking to watch that. Two guys who, in my opinion, are legends of the sport. BJ, obviously, but I think Machida's a legend as well. And, and it's just, it's hard to watch these guys into their late, into their later years, late in their careers, go out there and try to fight with guys who are in their athletic prime, and in BJ's case, not in their athletic prime, and still can't get the win anymore. So it's just for me, the heartbreak of the year is to, to keep watching these guys who are on the downside of their career just keep getting further and further down the ladder, and it's starting to tarnish their legacy. I think uh, I'm going to jump on that because this was real close to me, just for the fact of uh, you know. Uh, I probably didn't make this mine at the last minute, Jordan, just because, again, I, I was joking this podcast. I banned myself from BJ Penn uh, yeah. picks, right, because I talk about the guy so much. But to kind of talk about more of a, a broad scope is, you know, I was going to say BJ Yair in the broad scope of that was at the beginning of the year. And you could be splitting hairs on what's more impactful, you know, the, the Bisping-Gaslam turnaround, the Machida sacrifices that he's been being thrown at, or, you know, these BJ fights, and you could start splitting hairs, but... That one at the beginning of the year was kind of like what's to come because even though the sale already happened, the midway point of twenty, what is it, twenty sixteen, right? It wasn't until twenty seventeen where we started realizing, oh wait, these new owners haven't come around for a reason. Oh wait, there's a trend of this really random shit happening, and people, you know, whether it's people getting cut or cards getting put together and made a certain way, and more just speaking on the matchmaking part of the the, the equation of those changes that, that that we saw kind of unrolled in 2017 was the fact that okay we always knew there always was that model where yes the bigger we need the guys bigger names to a certain extent to build the younger guys like that's always existed i'm not ignoring that dynamic this wasn't something that wmeing or endeavor created right this was something that's always there but it almost felt like it was almost to a, a gross level where it was like 
you know, like the Yair uh, Beach. And we're like, why is this even going on? Is this what we're... And I remember thinking, like, is this what we're in store for? Is this what it's gearing me up? It's like, Dan, we're going to get you toughened up for 17. So we're just going to put the biggest match mismatch with your favorite fighter uh, at the edge of the knife. And we're going to let you watch that happen. Thanks. Thanks, yeah. guys. Yeah, just I can take anything just now. Real quick, <laughs> real quick before Matt jumps in. I, I agree, man. And it's not that there's never been – there's always been the passing of the guard, like you were saying. It's a guy who's maybe not where he used to be against up-and-comer. But it's never been a guy who has been retired, came out of retirement, is years past his prime against an up-and-comer. That's bizarre. Like yeah. there's a difference between a guy who may be on a two-fight losing streak, but he was just fighting for a title maybe last year, and BJ Penn, 20. 2017 fighting uh wheel kicking uh flying switch kicking uh yaya rodriguez who's just punting everyone's face off like what what the fuck was the point of that you're just basically <laughs> building up uh yair by killing bj it was just, that was that was bizarre to me man and, and 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 it's tough one more thing before i bounce it over to to, to matt because this kind of ties it into these fighters and um even a, a coach who these fighters share with with one of matt's favorite fighters anderson silva who we can bring into this conversation but uh, Kenny Johnson, uh, he has a wrestling coach for Black House. He was, you know, with BJ Penn back in the day. Uh, he still works with Leoto, still works with, you know, Anderson and those guys through Black House. And, I'll, you know, it was an off-the-record conversation. It was outside of the studio, so I'll leave, I'll leave the details off the record. And Kenny's a great guy, and he loves these guys 100%. But, you know, without mentioning names, but without the names that are mentioned, the specifics, you guys can kind of guess, but... You know, he's had conversations with these guys where it's like, all right, you know, you you still, you know, you, you know, you're older now, but you still have a lot left. Let's just do one honest camp where we just do all the bullshit. Let's cut out the yes men. Leave your crew and entourage. Let's get the yep. work done, man. You still have it. And he's like, I, he's, I, I've had it for with each and every that same conversation with all the guys that I just mentioned. And it's the same shit every time. They can't. It's yep. their demons. They can't. You know, their love to fight brings them to the dance, to the gym, and to the to the fight. But, you know, whether it's the, the yes men, the age, and all these kind of delusions surround it that they'll kind of ignore, ignore these things that, they, that, are, that are flags, whether it's the matchmaking or these deals that are being offered to them. And it's a climate where maybe they might need the money too. So, yeah. A anyways, stop me from tangenting, Matt. What do you, what do you think about this one? No, I mean, I'm not going to stop that. That's amazing stuff right there. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's, you know, going back to the original thing, it's like I don't want to see – you know, we talked about this on my podcast when you came on. It's like stop – putting the young phenoms against like the old guys and the, the knockout artists against the old guys. You know, I don't want to see Derek Brunson and Daniel Kelly. I don't want to see Derek Brunson and Leon Machida. I don't want to see that. Right. I don't want to see it. And obviously the biggest one, BJ Penn versus Yair. like, that's the one that when that fight got announced, everyone was like, no, 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 not this fight. Come on now. And it, that BJ Penn needs to be fighting the Dennis Severs of the world. And we saw how that fight even played out. You know, there's, there's always the, there's the division within the division, and that's broken down mostly by age. You know, Joe Lozon talked about that a lot yeah. before. You know, he's like, I don't want to be in there with these new guys. Like, <laughs> yeah. I still want to fight. I still want to fight. There's guys I can compete against, but there's no reason for me to get in there. I'm not chasing after the title. And, you know, not everyone in the in the whole league of the UFC needs to be fighting for a title. Right. You, know, you have too many events. You got to have fighters that are, you know, there just just to collect a paycheck. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I, 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 I will I say, I, 
I will say that I think the outlier to this is the heavyweight division because <laughs> because the top 10 is littered with dudes who are like 39 to 42 years old. So yeah, so true. Francis Ngannou versus <laughs> Alistair Overeem technically fits what we're talking about. But at the same time, it's like, who, who else are you going to put him against? Because the top five is full of dudes that are old as shit <laughs> or hurt. So so, yeah, you know, Ngannou goes out there and absolutely murders our, uh, you know, Arlovsky and then Overeem. But, you know, at the same point, it's like, who else can he fight? So I'm not I'm not as mad at the heavyweights. At, at least it's like a quick death, though. You know what I'm saying? It's not it's not like you get to see a beat down over three and three rounds. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just it's one <laughs> quick shot. Yeah. And you're out. 100%. Exactly. And not to get too heady with y'all, but to take it to even further note of the spectrum, we could even see the opposite when we talk about female 125, where we could see the young the young gun facing the old vet, but it's a complete different type of slaughter. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. we could be seeing some of those matchups happening soon, too. So Yeah, this girl's 3-1. Good luck against the champ. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah. You get yeah. Valentina Shevchenko. Yeah. Yeah. She only has 130 pro-Muay <laughs> Oh, ooh, I'm so interested to see who she gets yeah. matched up with. So interested. All right. Uh, <laughs> two of those girls. Doesn't yes, matter. two of them. Same time. All right, I'm glad I went last then for um, Heartbreak because this is another one that I share um, with the listeners. Again, this is this is a very this is a very uh, common one, but this one I, I have to say yes to. It has story that, that extends for a while between these two, and that is right. That is... That is John Jones versus DC, and that is more specifically not just the loss because, you know, uh, even with the PED thing, you, you don't want to take credit away from what John Jones did physically, right? We all saw him physically do. But the heartbreak more happens in, in the post fight, right? And not just because it was, you know, memed, even though DC took it like a champ, you know, speaking of taking things like a champ, he handled it well. But but not even because of the whole memeing thing after it, but just just the the sheer heartbreak that was apparent of tears and and I appreciate that vulnerability and I appreciate that DC is is okay and okay to remind people that it's okay. You can be a bad motherfucker and a competitor your whole life, and hey man, you can want something so bad you it's that's probably healthy that a <laughs> you you can cry, but b you want something bad enough that it costs you that. And it was that line he said where Joe Rogan says something about, what are your thoughts on the rivalry? And he goes, well, there is no rivalry when you lost two. And that's the line that hit me the most because, A, it's just the, the, the way that line was delivered. You couldn't kind of write that in a script as a writer. That's hard to even write that moment. You know, that's so perfect, right? As sad as it is, it's so perfect. But two, you know, back when DC was in Strike Force and, and Jones was kind of rising up, maybe he just won the title from Shogun. And there are already those questions starting to happen, right? Early on in Jones's career, who's going to beat this guy? DC was one of those guys, mm-hmm. even before it was talked about that he would go down to 205. I'm like, if this guy goes to 205, this undersized heavyweight that they're comparing to the, you know, they're calling him the Black Fedor over here in Strike Force. I think this guy <laughs> could be the guy. Like, because I, I immediately fell in love with DC just hearing him through MMA Junkie Radio because they they would cover him through, you know, before he even got to Strike Force. So I already was a big fan of DC. So there was that bias there, granted. But I was like, you know what? This guy might be the guy that can beat a guy like Jones. So the buildup to their first fight was so epic, and even though John Jones clearly won, it was still a competitive fight that could fuel the imagination. And and yeah, John Jones from DC to the fan and me and, and and any of you listening, John Jones just blew out that candle, man, and that was a real heartbreaking moment. So that 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 that's me and the listeners. Uh, Matt, do you have a, do you want anything to add on that one? Hell, you were there. Event. You were there. Yeah, I was there for that one. I was there for that one, man. So. 
witnessing the whole deal. And I was, you know, I'm, I'm with you there, like in the heartbreak aspect of it, because seeing, you know, DC in the lead up and his confidence super high and then seeing how he was performing. He was in John Jones's face in the pocket, slipping and dipping punches with his hands down, feeling himself. And he was performing like probably the best I've seen him perform up until he got hit with that head kick that John Jones called out years and years prior. Yep. It, it is just amazing, amazing. And then of course, you know, all the all the post-fight stuff that you talked about, all the the heartbreak, the you know, the the uh, the crying face that's been memed all over the place, and you know the fact that he owns it, which is is really cool too to see. But but yeah, I, I do like that pick as a, as a heartbreak moment because you know it's just all the emotion and everything that goes into it. And I couldn't help but think, you know, I, I told you this also on our on our show. I couldn't help but think, like sitting there during the post fight interview or the post fight presser rather, in like, what happens when John Jones screws this up somehow? What happens? Right. Yeah. And then, of course, it happens. <laughs> and yes. Here we are all over again. <laughs> yeah. And it's like that, that moment in the cage on the record books didn't take place because it's now no contest. So, or, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. <clears throat> Jordan, you, uh, you have anything to add on to this one, my brother? No, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with everything you guys have said. It's uh, it, it's surreal. I, I personally have always really liked it when athletes specifically wear their hearts on their sleeves. I like it when guys uh, are more genuine and they let their emotions show. Um, I, I think a lot of times the sports media can criti- criticize guys for that and it, they, they you know call them unprofessional or you know the self-centered or whatever. But I, I, I would rather have a guy who's telling me the way he actually feels than the scripted, you know, kind of BS responses that we get from a lot of guys who are trying to be more professional or keep it more, uh, you know, the, the, the standard, uh, quote, like that's, I really appreciate that about DC. Like he's always hundred percent honest. He's, he wears his heart on his sleeve. And that's why I like Twitter. John Jones, the guy who would post the yes. shit he really thinks. And then, yes. but then he deleted it. Like, stop trying to be that guy. Just be the real you. I like the real you. You're an asshole. I like that. Yes. Like be the real you. Yeah. So, so like like it, it, that's a huge heartbreak for DC because you're right, Matt. He was he was looking the best he'd ever looked, and then just got beat by, in my opinion, the, the best. So I mean, yeah. it is what it is. But it's still it is absolutely heartbreaking to see a guy who's so likable and is so uh, so well respected within the sport like DC, you know, reduced to tears. But uh, it, you know, that's uh, it's it's the fight game, right? Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And and just just a kind of a side anecdote. I mean, I, I've shared this before on an earlier earlier podcast, but DC is one of those legitimate nice guys behind the scene. I mean, early on, one of the callers from MMA Junkie Radio, shout out to Russ from Boston, is the big, biggest DC fan and called in. And I forget what the circumstances were, but DC literally offered him when he was like, "Oh, you're my biggest fan, really." And instead of like giving him crap or quizzing him, he's like, he he offered him tickets to his next fight. And it wasn't – his next fight wasn't even booked, so there was a good chance DC was going to forget, blow it off or whatever, and he didn't. And uh, I forget what the fight was, but it was one of the fights where DC had to pull out really kind of close to last minute. So – and Russ already had his plane tickets already out there and the tickets, so he had, he already went out there and, 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 you know, and watched the fights but didn't get to see DC fight. DC made sure that he paid for his travel and tickets again for the next time that he did fight, which I believe was the Gus Jones or something, or the Gus uh, the yeah. Gus DC fight in Texas, and uh, and uh, and yeah, I mean, so he he essentially went, went by his word. You know, this was over like a year and a half, to, you know, uh, thing promise and and twice over, and just he's that kind of a guy for just some random fan 
through a damn radio show. I mean, that's that is the kind of guy who DC is. So it's not some kind of a, a phony persona. And uh, so the the, the uh, listeners were on that one. Um, and you guys both covered yours, right? Both of your guys' uh, heartbreaks. Yes. Here, right? Okay. So just yep. to tie, just to tie, just to tie it up, then um, what got. Second, uh, this will come up later. Obviously, uh, probably the next the, ne- the, ne- the next topic we jump to actually right right here next. But it also came up for heartbreak, and that is JJ versus Rose. And the reason why it would come up for mm-hmm. heartbreak that's more the the JJ fans. I, I think just kind of that 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 what, what happened to her. Maybe even the post fight now kind of a revisionist history with seeing her suffering in the weight cut. Uh, not taking anything away from Rose, obviously, and we'll I'm sure we'll touch on Rose there. But just an interesting note that was a close second. And what was tied for third, guys, was John Jones Usada. So again, kind of a similar playoff what we we're just talking about, but the more after. Yeah. And that's an understandable one. And another one which I thought was a cool, uh, again, a pull from earlier in the year, which I always appreciate, was a Khabib's pullout of UFC 209. I thought that was a good heartbreak <laughs> for the fans. That was a heartbreak. That was a heartbreak for the fans. Oh, that one hurt, man. Yeah. This was number one oh. bullshit. This was number one God. bullshit. <laughs> uh. Uh, anything yeah, on those last ones, guys, before we move on? I love the 209 one. That, that's, a, that's a good one I completely forgot about. But, again, I was there for that event too, man, and that that definitely sucked seeing that play out throughout the week. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually so hanging out with people on the strip on that week. I didn't go to the fights, but I was hanging out with people fight week, and on the, the, the day before it just felt the weigh-in day. It felt sucked out. Just It was just yeah. Twitter. Twitter was just mean jokes. Uh, to ourselves, going, oh, so excited for for Khabib versus Fergus. Oh. <laughs> like that was that's what yeah. Twitter was essentially the whole forty eight hour lead up to the fight. I had one of my most shared and retweeted like tweets during that weigh in morning, when I was like, I think I said something like waiting for Khabib to bust through at weigh ins, and then posted a a gif of Ultimate Warrior running down the. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I remember that one. Oh, that was Blood good. Moon. That was good. All right, all right, don't, guys. don't get me started. I'll be doing Ultimate Warrior breakfast for the next 20 minutes. Dude. <laughs> oh, I, I forget. Someone said uh, – I did a hypothetical on Twitter where it was like pair your pair pro wrestler uh, and MMA fighter that seemed like they were born to be together. And someone was like Diego Sanchez and Ultimate Warrior. I was oh, like, that's, oh, it's great. That's uh-huh, yeah. It's fucking great. It insane. <laughs> Loved it. Uh, anyways, before we go before we go down that rabbit hole, let's jump to Shocker. Before we'll do Shocker, we'll go to break, and then we'll knock out the rest of the categories. Sound good, gents? Sounds All right. Good. So Shocker of the year, we uh, we'll, we'll have um, this one's obviously easy for open uh, an easy open for interpretation category, and we'll have uh, Jordan. You haven't kicked off a category yet. Why don't you kick us off for your Shocker of the year, sir? All right, so I feel like um, the shocker of the year for a lot of people is going to be the J.J. Rose one, and that would have been mine until the first, like, 30 seconds of the fight. In that first 30 seconds of the fight, Rose threw a straight one-two and landed, and Mm -hmm. Joanna looked out of it. And I was like, oh, shit, she's going to get knocked out. Like, she looked like she didn't want to be in there, and Rose was slinging heat and i was like oh this this is not gonna go well so if if i if that hadn't happened in like the first exchange of the fight then i would have been 100 percent shocked but that that first exchange that they both threw i was like oh this is not gonna end well for yoana but the whole time obviously i'm not gonna say i picked rose i picked yoana i thought she was gonna go in and crush that fight but uh so my shocker of the year was a finish that i did not see coming at all and that was when darren elkins came back and beat mursad bektich <laughs> no. at ufc 209 yes. after bektich was beating the bejesus yes. out of 
Darren Elkins for most of that fight. That was one of the craziest comebacks. Well, that's the one that Joe Rogan got teary-eyed talking about how much heart Darren Elkins has after the fight. Yes. It was crazy, man. That was a crazy fight. I think I think Bekdich had a 10-8 round before yes, that third round where, where Elkins got the finish. So for me, that that, that was – I was trying to think back of the moment that made me go, holy shit, the most. And that was definitely the one because that was a fight that I was not even paying attention to because Bektich was so far up on the cards. I was like looking at my phone and like I might have even had like something on my computer watching like streaming Netflix, like watching The Crown with my wife or something. I don't know what I was doing. Maybe watching a British historical drama. No one knows what I'm doing. But then that, then that happened. It was just crazy. So that's my, my shocker year was Elkins coming back and beating Versace. Oh, man, that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I like that one a lot, man. That is great. That's another one. Where, let me guess. That was one where you had to stop and go. Was that was that 2017? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. I was. Like, I don't remember if that was this year or last year? <laughs> oh wow! And that, you were at that card. You and that's that's the card you were at uh, there. There, Matt. That we just talked about, right? Was that, that 209 that happened at? Was that at 209? Uh, I'm almost positive it was. Let me let me double check here. I got it pulled up. Uh, yeah, Elkins Bektich, 209 was on the prelim card. That's right. That's right. And I remember. Um, yeah, we didn't. I don't. If I'm remembering correctly, we didn't get to speak to either one of them. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're both in the hospital. I'm sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Darren yeah. Elkins probably hooked himself up to an IV bag and a Miller Light in the other arm. So. <laughs> yeah. He was like, hey, did you see my chest tattoo? I don't know if you missed it, but it has my nickname. It says The Damage. Yeah. And it's gigantic on my chest. You know, it's, I, I always people this pod, listeners to this podcast know I, I, I'm a little heavy handed with the uh, poking fun at Darren Elkins. All in love, by the way. But I do compare. Like Matt Damon from Yeah, the retarded. Right. But what doesn't help is like, we interviewed him on. I, don't, I wasn't even. I, uh, technically a part of Junkie Radio at the time. I was just, I probably was just guesting that day. But Darren Elkins was one of the guests that called in. It was post his win. And I remember Ghost has this whole like elaborate setup. He's like, dude, you just – he breaks down the win. He's like, that's the biggest win of your career. And Darren Elkins was talking about like, the most money he's made, biggest win, all this stuff. He's like, okay, it's your biggest win, most money you made. What does Darren Elkins go out to the bar that night? What do you treat yourself with? What's the meal Darren Elkins treat himself with? What did you treat yourself to that night? And it was this whole build-up, and Darren Elkins was just like, Miller lied! And he just said it, like, so non-comically. Like, not even trying to be funny. No ellipsis attached, like, Miller lied. No, just Miller lied. Just, just a dead shout of Miller lied. We're like, all right, he had Miller lied. He's from rural Indiana. That's all they have there. Like, that, the champagne. He, he didn't know that that was beer. He just thought that was what you drank until he was, like, 30 years old. He didn't know that was even beer. He was like, what do you want with dinner? Miller Lite? Like, he was offering that to his kids and their friends, and they'd come over for, for dinners and stuff. Oh he had no God. idea. Oh, Jesus. All right. Get, get Matt, get, get us off this. What is your shocker of the year? <laughs> um, man, I guess, I mean, obviously the, the first big choice is going to be versus Rose, as you know Jordan said a minute ago. But I'm going to go with the recent one. Um, I mean, it's pretty shocking to most people, I believe, and that was when Josh Emmett knocked out uh, Ricardo Lamas. Nice. You know, in a late last-minute replacement coming in against, you know, top five, you know, guy who's trying to get a title shot again and <laughs> just gets knocked out by Josh Emmett and is just completely shocking. Like, everyone that I saw, at least, you know, in the lead-up to that fight, expected that to just be a squash match, and no, didn't turn out that way, you know. So, shout-out to Josh Emmett with the huge, huge KO win. That was big, man. I mean, that was and that was also like the classic spot where it's like even 
whether you were a Ricardo Lamas fan or not, like you were like, this is the okay, this guy has to get his due. You know, we feel for him, the contract, age, he was finally gonna get that Aldo fight. It's a good time for get the Aldo fight, loses the Aldo fight, man without a country for a minute, throwing Josh Emmett, all right, let's get the job done and Boom! Um, a crazy yeah. long legacy that uh, you know Lamas uh, has now. You know, with everybody's short memory in MMA, that does a lot of damage. Aside from the obvious damage uh, incurred by the hook, but yeah. So the, I like I, I like that. It's, it's it's an under the radar pick, and I appreciate that, Jordan. Uh, that is a very good pick, and I will just uh, add on to this. Josh Emmett, name me another guy in the UFC who looks like he would be a vampire in Blade Two more than Josh Emmett. Oh, oh, that's nobody. A good, oh, wow, that's a good nobody. One. Da, Straight up da, looks da, da, like da, da, one of the da, da, bad da, da. vampires in Blade Two. Dude, it's a great, it's oh a great show. <laughs> it's like, hey, hey, don't come at me. Don't act like you guys don't watch Blade. You've watched Blade. It's a good of course. film. The listeners have seen Blade. They're fans. The they know trilogy. What about. The trilogy. Come Absolutely. on. And, and, and that's no hate on Josh Emmett because I will just say no. you compare Josh Emmett with my favorite actor, Willem Dafoe, you save a lot of Ooh. vampire makeup. I'm just going to say it. You yep. save a lot yeah. of vampire just, makeup. Just put him in there. Or, <laughs> hey, you're making a new Mortal Kombat. You got your Baraka right there. You oh got a short God. muscle Baraka right there. Wow. Oh, Josh Emmett. Baraka. <laughs> <laughs> no offense. That's, that's a great. compliment. Oh, that's great. I'm you work. Oh. I'm getting you work, Josh Emmett. <laughs> Oh. I, I guarantee you, and I will tag you if somebody does this, but I guarantee you at the PYM podcast is going to get hit with a uh, with a side-by-side of Baraka and Josh Emmett after this one gets <laughs> dropped. Like, oh, that's pretty close. <laughs> oh, so man, you're, getting, you're, getting my, so you're stirring up my sickness with these laughs. It's so good. Um, my shocker of the year <laughs> was going to be something, but it it would, you know, if I if I really want my shocker of the year, it would... It would you know, it, it would it would be uh it would probably be something you know sad like the the, the passing of my coach Robert Fallis, rest in peace. Uh, but you know what, my shocker of the year is again. I know you, maybe I'm making up for like a whole year of hipster picks on these top five episode guys. Maybe I'm just this is my this is my comeuppance. But I'm on I'm on board with the listeners here, and uh, I side with the listeners who voted. Rose versus Yuani and Jacek. Now, I, I even though I picked Yuani and Jacek, I, I did think Rose was live. But even if you thought Rose was live, and I dare say, even if you sprinkled some money on Rose for the nice three to one, close to four to one underdog odds, you would have gotten on her. I don't think anybody saw it being done on the feet. I think you saw her maybe getting the back in a crazy scramble, mm-hmm. and that was the yeah. that was the worry for a Yuani and Jacek fan or Yuani and Jacek herself. No. Uh, Rose hits the left hook, you know, variating her long jab that she's really built under these last couple of years under the care of Trevor Whitman, and just jab, jab, hook around the guard, and and, and you know, it just took took one to really offset her equilibrium, and um, and and she went out for a, a brief, uh, you know, a brief second, according to John McCarthy, who was there, and I believe she. That's why he uh, he said he actually designated it a KO over the TKO because I think. At least the way I remember it, I'd be like, oh, that probably would have credited it as a TKO stoppage. Well, what I learned uh, interviewing McCarthy the, the week after, he said that the referee can actually have a little bit of flexibility as far as what mm-hmm. designates that call. And the reason why he will, like in that case, lean toward a KO, even if you could have probably said it was a TKO, is because if you put a KO, it'll add, I believe, six to 12 months longer to the suspension, which mm. doesn't necessarily protect them. You know, fighters can still break that, yada, yada. But the, Assuming everybody abides by the rules, 
it makes them feel a little better, which is kind of cool to know about brain, you know, uh, considering brain safety and the climate we're in. And he felt that since he thought he saw, you know, Yoani and Jacek go out, he, he wanted to, you know, protect her by saying, you know, uh, marking it a KO. And then with the weight cut stuff that came out after, it probably was good, right? Uh, to yeah. kind of increase that, any kind of suspension on, on, on JJ to recover there. So that, that was me and the listeners pick, guys. Uh, Matt, anything to add to that one? No, nah, man, I think we pretty much hit on it, you know. Uh, definitely, yeah. I mean, just, there was just so, many, so much things around that fight, you know, looking back on it, you'd be like, yeah, there's some signs there, you know. Uh, Joanna was doing a little bit too much in the pre-fight, you know. Maybe she got a little bit too full of herself, and then on fight night, like Jordan mentioned, the very first few exchanges, you could tell something was off, you know, and it's just, of course, Rose looked so on, too, you know, yeah. not definitely taking anything away from her at all. Right. Uh, so, yeah, incredible moment, one of the one of the biggest moments of the year, by yep. far. All right. Jordan? Uh, yeah, I, th- I just think it was crazy, because before that fight, I'd never really been that impressed with Rose's striking. Um, the girls that she had kind of outstruck were never very good strikers. In fact, I thought she lost the Tisha Torres fight. I thought yeah, Tisha out, outstruck her the whole fight. Um, and then she loses a decision to Carolina Kalvakiewicz, uh, a fight that she was really outstruck in for most of it as well. So I, I really hadn't been that impressed with her striking going into that fight. So that's why that first that, the, those first couple exchanges, I was like, holy shit, she's throwing way more heat than Ioana's looking looking for. So it, it was uh, going into the fight, I was all on board with Ioana, kind of like uh, kind of like you said, where if Rose was going to get it done, it was probably going to be in a scramble. She'd get her back, something, something. But uh, yeah, as soon as, as soon as a couple couple uh, exchanges were thrown, I was like, it, it, it wouldn't surprise me if Rose knocks her out, which is which is crazy because again, like I said, hadn't been impressed by her striking going into that fight. Yep, yep, I, I agree. And just to quickly wrap that up, the the second place it was just a second place tie with uh, for that category for the listeners, Francis Ngannou, Alistair Overeem, as well as <laughs> Jones Usada pops up again in this category for a shocker. So both justified, I guess. So wait. Hold on, people were shocked by Nganu blasting over him? That, yeah, that, that, I don't get that one. No, uh, yeah, that, that, <laughs> I, 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 that doesn't make my list for that step exact your, reason. Step your game up, listeners. I think that just shocks. I think that that's like the image that's burning in everybody's head, so I think that's, that's just fair. like some kind of Nganu side effect magic or something. He did lift a 250-pound man off his feet. So. I think he just put like the whole universe on notice. Well, That's true. Yeah. All right. Well, on that beat, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to knock out the rest of these categories for the year-end awards right here in the Protect Your Neck podcast. Cucarachas enojadas. Right here in the Protect Your Neck podcast for the year-end awards with special guests Jordan Killian and Matthew Wells joining me. All right, guys. After we uh, took a little break, had a little uh, sidebar conversation, Jordan peer pressured me to drink in. We started talking about rap songs about dropping single digits, and we're back here to the podcast. So we made it, we've made it full circle. Pressure makes diamonds. People are like, what the fuck are they talking about? Don't worry about it. We're, we're moving on to the next category. That's what, that's what we're doing. And the next category is Martial Artists of the Year. Um, I'll kick us off on this one. I believe it's my turn anyways. But uh, also, this is another one where 
where I was on the side of the listeners because the first thing that popped in my head, I thought, well, obvious, maybe semi-obvious. I'm sure we'll be all over the board. Maybe it's 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 my it's my it's my Hawaiian bias, but no. The listeners were on the same side as me, as I ended up siding with Max Holloway here, guys. Um, I won't talk too much into it in case any of you guys uh, is your pick. If not, I'm sure you at least have an opinion on it. But essentially what it came down for me was progress. Watching someone's progress kind of come to fruition. And, and Max is the kind of guy, he's, he's, especially in the last couple of years of his career, He's made progresses every year, so that could kind of, in a weird way, cancel out or throw that part of the argument out of there. But there's a certain watermark that I think nobody can deny. And if you're lucky enough in your career, you get to a point where you can make that watermark. And it's usually over somebody who's made a watermark of their own. And, of course, that was defeating Jose Aldo. And, again, he beat the same guy and beat him twice in one year, and that can kind of play against you know, the pick or take away, depending on the perspective there. But the fact that he did it different ways each time, the fact that he continued to evolve each time, and he he never, you know, again, facing a guy that was tough and having the tough road and the interim titles and what's going on with Conor McGregor, he never got stale. He never had a bad attitude when he could have. He never got mad. Well, he never played woe is me. And he never said, I want what Conor wanted. He said, no, I just want to be an undisputed champion. I want to defend the belt. I want to fight who's next. I want to continue what is already one of the impressive, most impressive winning streaks in any division in MMA right now. And when disappointment struck again, and when the last guy that was really left to him to beat in the division, aside from you know maybe a Brian Ortega or Magomed Sharapov on the rise, a Frankie Edgar has to pull out, he has to face Aldo again. And instead of complaining or this or that, you know the is what it is gets dropped. And he's right out there fighting, and it's the, the kind of complaint, which I don't want to side tangent too much, but again, the current climate of interim titles and people not fighting and everyone wanting money fights or people when they do fight, they fight safe or all these other complaints we've had in 2017, Max has been out there fighting. And he's not the only one, of course, but he's the one that makes my list for, for, for martial artists of the year. Uh, Jordan, you, you got anything to add, add on this one or... That's a good pick, man. I it, it wasn't my pick. The only the only knock I had against Max Holloway was that he beat the same guy twice. That was the only reason. But I think it's a totally valid pick. I, I have no problem with with somebody giving Max Holloway the the fighter of the year because I think the growth is is totally a, a good point because he is getting better every time. It's kind of crazy that Max Holloway's been getting better every time for like the last three years. It's kind of nuts. He gets better every single time. Yeah. Like over his last ten fights, he's gotten better every single time. Usually at some point, like when a guy becomes top level like he's kind of hit his plateau he's as good as he's gonna get for a while but max keeps getting better every time so uh, i have no problem with that pick even though it wasn't mine matt yeah that's a solid pick man i mean again I, i i agree with jordan in that fact that he did fight the same guy twice beat the same guy twice but still you can't deny that how much better he looks in the cage, you know, and it's just a continued growth that we've seen with him and not only inside the cage, but personality wise, you know, we're, we're seeing the complete character that is Max Holloway. And it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Awesome. Awesome. Well, well, I'll just a quick racket it back to you, Matt, right back at you. Who did you have for your, uh, for your martial artist of the year? Oh man, my martial artist of the year. I kind of tried to think, you know, again, like I went through, 
all of the three and O guys. There's a so many people in three and O this year that I could choose from, and I believe like for me, it had to be one of these guys on this list that had three fights this year and won all of them. You know, but at the end of the day, which one is the one that I think is going to make the most waves in the next coming year? And it came down to two people. Um, I'll, I'll save the other one that I won't name for later, um, but. The one I chose ended up being Darren Till because right. the guy looks like an absolute monster in the cage, especially in his last fight um, against uh, Cowboy Cerrone. Just first-round finish of, of that guy in that fashion. Obviously, he's a taller, rangier guy, but the confidence that he comes in within, you know, the, the distance management, the patience, all of that stuff bundled together, he looks like a guy that can truly make a run for the title in the upcoming year. And I'm not, you know, trying to say that just to, you know, like hype the guy up or anything. Like just watching the guy and how he's improved even just within the past year. And he just looks like an absolute monster in there. And he's huge. And he cuts down so much weight, which is, you know, me. I hate weight cutting. I hate the whole concept of it. It's so damn stupid. It's the only sport on the planet where guys will literally kill themselves before they get in the cage to try to kill themselves. It's or kill their opponent rather. It just it's it's so stupid. But Darren Till's a guy um, that I chose for this year. You know, going three and zero. Two of those wins were a decision, but that latest one against Donald Cerrone was the one. It's like, man, this guy has the potential to be something special in the next in the next uh, twelve months. So we'll see, and I'm definitely keeping an eye on him. I like that pick, Jordan. Do you, do you have anything to add to that pick? I think it's a great pick, man. I think I think Till is definitely the guy that went that gained the most ground on where he wants to be uh, across the board. I think Till went from like he was obviously talented, but he was probably in the back end of that that top fifteen, and he jumped. Now he's right up there in that you know that that top seven discussion. I mean, you could you could easily make a top any top five matchup for Till, and it makes sense, and it's a good fight. So I think as far he kind of he kind of skipped the line a lot due to his performance and uh that so i i have no problem with that pick either that's a good pick yeah uh, it, it's an underrated pick you know like initially we, we we're obviously we're not doing a breakthrough fight of the year but that's kind of what would jump off the, the page for me uh for, oh, yeah. for this year darren till but i like that it's martial artist of the year because again i'm sure darren hates these uh comparisons and to be honest i think we're all a little fatigued of any conor mcgregor comparison of anything but he reminds me of Conor McGregor in the best of ways, in the sense of the reason why, you know, I'll say I'm not a hater. I try to remind people, like, I loved early Conor and this and that. But uh, hearkening back to that, I think that's why I see the comparison of Conor and as far as why I like the martial artist of the year for Darren Till. Because he reminds me of that early Conor where that confidence in his technique. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and even though I feel like he actually has more of an underrated counter-wrestling game and more of an underrated grappling game than Conor, which makes Till even more interesting and more of a martial artist in that sense. But he has just this confidence about his game, and it's, it's this mysteriousness where you know where we've only you know seen him use stuff when he kind of needs to, you know. Um, and, he, and and so so it's going to be interesting, you know, watching him grow to see if he's going to be that fighter that can adapt, pull the trigger. But either way, uh, he certainly arrived um, as a martial artist. So that that that's a that's a fantastic pick there. Um, yeah. Jordan, is it, is it your pick now, sir? Yeah, it's my pick, and uh, I, I, this was a this was a tough one for me. My my 
initial reaction was to go with DJ just because I feel like there's something to be said for sustaining greatness over a long period of time. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I feel like he would be my number two pick. But but who I decided to go with was a guy that I think um, I think just the 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 wording the way you worded this question, Dan, is what made me change my mind. Martial artist of the year. I went with a guy that I think developed greatly as martial artist. Uh, he changed weight classes, and I think it helped his game dramatically. And I went with Rafael dos Anjos nice. uh, as my fighter of the year. He went he went three and zero with wins over Safadine, Magny, and Lawler. Uh, and that went over Neil Magny's looking better and better by the day. And how quickly he beat Magny too, you know, just took him down, absolutely mauled him on the ground, uh, and then an absolute domination of Robbie Lawler. Granted, Lawler was got hurt halfway through the fight, but you know what? I think he was well on his. Dan, we talked about this last time we talked. Actually, I think he was well on his way to winning that fight before Lawler even got hurt. So. Yeah, I think Dos Anjos moving up to 170 uh, has really helped him not only physically because he was tremendously strong at 55, but it looks like he's retained that power up to uh, that that strength up to 170. He's able to muscle guys around who technically should be bigger than him, but they they really aren't able to 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 hang with his strength. And then he's also his, his striking game is developed tremendously. I mean, he obviously ever since he uh, went and started working with Javier Cordero, he picked up some of that some of that tie boxing and that, that kickboxing background, but it, it's gotten a lot better, man. His combinations look really smooth. He's able to move in and out without taking damage. And I, I just, I think, I think the leap and bounds he took uh, from a personal level from going last year where he went zero and two got knocked out by Alvarez, lost his title and then got beat by Tony Ferguson pretty soundly as well uh, to go in three and zero with wins over three tough guys, two top five to seven guys. I think uh, my fighter of the year is Rafael de Sanjos. Nice, nice, Matt. Anything to add to that pick? I love that pick, man. He was one of the, he was one of the guys that kind of got chopped off at the end because you know I had to go a little bit more hipster as you like to do mm-hmm. on the show. So you know I tried to <laughs> nice. try to go with the Dan Tom angle a little nice. bit with my pick, but I do love I love the evolution of um, Dos Santos that we've seen in the past year, man. Those fights and- at welterweight and just like you were saying, the fact that he doesn't seem overpowered, even though he looks like a smaller guy, he's still in there. Just, controlling dudes at, at, at will, you know, it, it kind of adds to that fact, you know, weight cutting is really all that damn necessary. Right. So right. he's proving that. And man, what I, the, the fight I'm most excited about, like I, I like Tyron Woodley. I like Tyron Woodley a lot. I think his style can lead to boring fights, but a, a real fun fight, I think is Dos Anjos Woodley. I oh, think yeah. that's a real yeah, fun fight, man. Cause not only, not only does Woodley have a lot of power, but he's a great wrestler. Do you really want to take Dos Anjos to the ground? Like you want to fuck with that? That's a world champ black belt. Like I don't, I don't know that Woodley wants to take him down. So it's going to wind up being a. It, does it wind up being a striking battle? And if it does, do you have the technique of of Dos Anjos or the 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 quickness and the power of of Woodley? I, I'm really excited for that fight. If that's the one that gets made. I hope so. I hope that's the next one. Yeah. This is the one that makes the most sense for me. Yeah, yeah I agree. it does. I, I really hope it comes together, too. There's, there's no way that fight can be boring, and Dos Anjos is going to make him work, which is, I think, that whether you're a, a, a fan or a detractor, I think we all want to see Woodley in a fight. Um, that's going to make him work, you know what I'm saying? Because that's where we get the best Woodley, so who can who could possibly not exactly. want to see that? Um, right. and, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say the people. I it pisses me off when people say Tyron Woodley's boring. It's like you you've only watched two of his fights. Then. Yeah, like yeah, that's yeah, exactly. that's the case 100%. because he's he's not a boring fighter at all. He's boring when he gets a guy who won't engage with him. Dos Anjos is gonna push the pace and make Woodley fight. And if that's the case, that's gonna be a really fun fight. Yeah, I, I think mean, I think I think about that would be a good fight as well because there's no one area where he is a specialist in. Like against right. Thompson, 
you know, Thompson was an elite striker with these ridiculous leg or kicks, you know, and that created kind of this stalemate on the feet. Yeah. Whereas Thompson didn't want to engage too much because he didn't want to get taken down. Same thing with the Maya fight. Maya's an elite grappler who doesn't have all that great of striking, but again, yeah. you can't overextend on the striking because you get taken down. Yada yada. RDA is a well-rounded fighter, so right. that's going to be that's going to bring out the both the the best in both because there's no one clear area where it's like you got to watch out for this, you got to watch out for everything. So and and, and just just real quick, sorry, Dan. I don't oh, no, go go off, go go yeah, go, but, go please. But just I I, th- I think Dos Anjos' career has been an absolute testament to to the growth of a martial artist because if you look at where he was when he came into the ufc i think his first fight was like back at uh he got knocked out by jeremy stevens back yeah. in like 2008 yep. it was like ufc 91 or 90 or something like that 91, he got yep. knocked out because he was he was like a pure grappler the dude oh, had yeah. no striking at all pure grappler and now he's out striking robbie lawler yeah it's insane <laughs> like dude. that's Think of that. That's nuts. He came in as a black belt, and now he's one of the best strikers in the world. That's crazy. I, I rewatched it recently because I'm, I'm doing Jeremy Stevens tape study for next week. But then I also rewatched it before that because just for shits, um, I usually go pretty deep anyways on, on all the fighters. But I, especially if they're the main event, I, I'll go through their whole catalog. And uh, I'm looking at this skin and bones Dos Anjos who is just not just stripped down muscle wise because he's you know a young guy still still able to make 55 but his skills like Jordan said were very stripped down and I'm like yeah. I'm gonna pick this guy to beat Robbie Lawler all right you know like <laughs> I mean like I was even me who's like not I know. I'm not even an RDA detractor in his Renaissance but even me I was you know kind of surprised by it but I think that being said with everything you guys said I think nobody you know even dos Anjos' distract detractors all take him very serious now after that Lawler fight. And furthermore, yeah. in the span of his career, it's really interesting because I know we're talking about RDA, but this is really deserved. You know, he starts off as a jiu-jitsu guy, and then all of a sudden he starts really going to Singapore and learning how to kick, and we see him against yeah. Rob em- Emerson, um, I believe UFC 136, that epic card, and I think it was Dallas, Texas, right? Where Sanchez yeah. and Melendez and all those, all those fights happen. And RDA just kicks the crap out of Rob Emerson, who's a known you know Orange County kickboxer, MMA guy. And just kicks the crap out of his legs, and then we see this slowly. He gets, you know, get, get, then he gets with Cordero and starts developing from a stick and move guy to more of a pressure fighter. And then he runs into Khabib and says, "Okay, well now I need wrestling to, you know, up with, you know, uh, with my pressure fighting." So now he has Muay Thai, pressure fighting, wrestling. We haven't seen his jujitsu yet, but then after he splits with Cordero, he gets with, you know, Perillo. Now his footwork, he can stick and move and counter and fight inside the pocket and punch. And his defense and his head movement are much better. It's great. He, he wasn't very much of a defensive fighter before. No. And then now he's going back to his jujitsu roots because now he's at Gracie Baja. Now we're seeing much more mm-hmm. of a ground game and submission. So it's just crazy the, the, the you know, uh, level. And then let's, let's be honest, guys. The real reason why he gets martial artist of the year, he comes out to the theme from Bloodsport. Kumite. He does. It's bad. It's badass that he comes out to the Kumite song. Absolutely. Uh, 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 real quick, I always look for the Asian guy chain smoking, taking bets whenever he comes out, and I hear that song playing. <laughs> oh, dude, uh, you you don't deserve the dim mock. First of all, I, I watch Bloodsport a lot. I yes. know a lot. Hey, Frankie, I'm doing it. Yeah, like, but, but uh, look. Lo- just real quick, low key. That uh, Stevens KO of Dos Anjos very slept on. That's one of the best oh, uppercut amazing. KOs. Ever and oh, nobody amazing. talks about it. He, he straight up Mortal Kombat toasted him. So amazing, <laughs> so amazing. Great, great, great pick. Uh, just to re- real quick close off this one. Uh, DJ came in second for what it's worth. I know you were close to picking DJ. He came in second for the listeners. And 
It was a three-way tie uh, for a third, uh, or a four-way tie for a third between Vulcan Ozdemir, Brian Ortega, RDA, and uh, Dustin Poirier got some love, too. So, just for <laughs> what that's worth. All right. Uh, next one. This is going to be an easy one we'll be able to cut through, guys. Uh, technical Showcase of the Year. This one I like because it can go so many different directions, but I don't think it's going to work very well this year because, again, I think this is one of those categories where I think a lot of the things get funneled. I'm hoping you guys went hipster on Dan Tom because this is probably the (laughs) last one that Dan Tom really kind of went chalk on. Um, So I'll kind of save it. Uh, Matt, you go ahead and kick us off. What do you have chambered for technical showcase of 2017? I'm going to let you down on this one. I'm sorry I didn't go hipster on this one. Kind of like what Jordan was saying again. I feel like I've said that a lot earlier. But, um, you know, kind of touching on one of the things that Jordan said earlier, um, you got to find a way to throw in Demetrius Johnson in here in one of these things. And I I went with this one. I went with this one, and I didn't even really necessarily pick a particular fight. You could look at the Wilson Hayes fight, or you could look at the Ray Borg fight. I lean towards the Ray Borg fight because we get the mousetrap, mighty armbar, whatever the hell you want to call it at the end of it. <laughs> but he's just so damn good everywhere, and he has the right mix of aggression with conservativeness, with you know technical skill, and he's just literally like the perfect mold of a martial artist to where – you know, he's going to get in your face, but he's not going to overextend. He's not going to leave very many openings for you. And he's going to make, he's going to take your weaknesses and he's going to exploit the hell out of them. So, you know, I lean, like I said, you pick, pick either one of the two fights he was in this year, but I'm, I'm leaning towards more the Ray Borg fight. Nice, nice. Jordan, you uh, have anything to add to that or was that possibly your pick? No, it wasn't my pick. I, this is like one of the few that I went really hipster on, but I, I love that pick, man. Cause DJ, I mean, if, if nothing else, like you, we, there are people who have different schools of thought on him as like, as far as where you put him on the pound for pound list. But one thing that's unanimous across the board is everyone is it, it marvels at his technique. So I think that's 100%. That's a great pick, Matt, because he's, he, he's super technical. He brings out new techniques that he, he kind of makes up and he practices and, and perfects. So, uh, I'll, I'll just say this. If the, if the UFC, when Mighty Mouse is done fighting hopefully a while down the road hopefully we still get to watch him for a while uh when he does retire the ufc better just put him in the hall of fame on the spot that's all <laughs> yeah 100 i uh let me just jump on real quick before we get to yours jordan because mine actually was with matt here and so was the so was the listeners so again we're not we're not crazy we're not alone this was a pretty big the, the biggest wash as far as the listeners voting concern for what that's worth and yeah that was Demetrius Johnson um, over Ray Borg. I mean, you know, from submission of the year, that was a, kind of a wash for that pick, and understandably so. But even yeah. even this, which speaks even louder, in my opinion, technical showcase of the year. Because l- let's be honest, this is this is the award show that mattered. No, I'm just kidding. No, but technical showcase <laughs> of the year is a much broader topic than submission, and we're still being funneled to the same freaking pick uh, for the most part. Now, and obviously, we're going to get to Jordan's here in a second. So that says a lot, and, and it's well-deserved. I mean, you, we have to give DJ love somewhere on the list. And uh, he is an easy guy to fit a lot of places, <laughs> whether we're talking about his size, his vast skill set, or whatever kind of uh, iteration we're going to talk about it here. But but DJ is, is well-deserved, and I guess I will leave it at that. Before I get to the uh, other mentions of this category, Jordan, who did you have? So this one, the I, I went a little hipster on this one, and it's it's a little surprising because it's a guy that was hugely in the spotlight up to like you know just a year or so ago, but he's left the UFC, and I feel like he's kind of gone out of the spotlight a bit, and that's Rory McDonald. I think Rory McDonald's performance against Paul Daly back in May was absolutely technically 
perfect. Uh, and, and that's what you have to do when you fight a guy who is who is so powerful. And Daly, let's not forget, Paul Daly is knocking people out right mm-hmm. now. Like, knock Lorenz Larkin out cold, knock Brennan War out with a crazy flying knee. That was my knockout of the year. BTW, if no one saw it, back yes. in uh, Bellator. It's January. One of the craziest flying knees you'll ever see, connected clean. Paul Daly is dangerous as shit, and Rory McDonald didn't have a scratch on him. Went went in there, absolutely dominated on the feet, took him down, took his back, submitted him, and that is, if you're if you are a young fighter and you're facing a dude that you know has a lot of power, obviously Paul Daly is pretty technical, technically sound as well. He's a good kickboxer, good boxer. Watch what Rory McDonald did, man. That's how you negate power. Like it, everything he did was perfectly right, and I I love that. I like I like that Rory is still fighting uh, fighting well, and I think he should be on poor people's radar, even though he's fighting in Bellator, where he's going to get a lot less views, but. Uh, yeah, Roy McDonald beating Paul Daly back at uh, UFC or sorry Bellator 179 <laughs> in May. Uh, that was that was my uh, technical showcase of the year. Dude, Dude I, I love that pick. I love great, it. Great pick. Great, great pick. Uh, underrated pick too. Giving Bellator love because I was trying to think of Bellator and there wasn't a lot jumping at me. Maybe for these categories, maybe for other ones if we were to do them. But Roy was one of those dark horse guys where it's like you're right because. It was. You also have to incorporate the narrative. Like, is Rory done? Did he change his style for the worst? Is he going to come back from the no surgery? Okay. Will he fit the trope that all these other UFC guys face going over to Bellator? Like, there were so many things in the works that maybe not necessarily against him, but certainly up in the air. And for him to be the Rory that we all hoped, wish, and imagined him to could be was 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 more than you could really ask for. So, that's a great pick for what it was worth. Um, other mentions, uh, Edson Barbosa versus Khabib. I guess that was fresh in someone's head. Um, Joanna versus uh, Jessica Andrade, uh, which is great. You know, it was a great uh, uh, Joanna fight. I know, uh, yeah. Matt, you were there. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I particularly love uh, Joanna's use as like a, a lead leg kick almost as a check hook. That was beautiful. She kept hitting uh, Jessica Andrade yeah. all night with that. Mm-hmm. Um, this one I really like. Frankie Edgar versus Yair Rodriguez. I like that as a creative Oh, pick. man. Just oh, reminding shit. people, reminding people what's up, fundamentals. Dude, he mauled Yair. Yeah, I, 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 I love that fight. Uh, that was a great fight. Uh, Eddie, and then Edson Barbosa versus Benil Dariush. Uh, I guess, you know, uh, that one probably got love, I'm imagining, for the for just that, 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 that sense of awareness in the pocket to get that knee. That was just beautiful. Eyes it, by it, was, it was a great, it was a great setup, but I feel like uh, with, with both the Barboza picks, like I love as a Barboza, but I, I, I don't think you could really put those on for technical because there are so many things he could have done better in those fights. Yeah, like that. He was, yeah. he was losing. <laughs> yeah. don't, don't, don't let's not act like he was winning that fight against Daryush. He was about to lose that fight. He just set up a really good knee yeah. uh, and, and timed it really well. And then against Barboza man, or against the, uh, Habib, I mean, the, I, Listen, I'm not going to sit here and act like I have the game plan to beat, beat Habib McMenoff, but like a, a, a little bit of footwork would have helped a lot better instead of just running straight back basically the entire time. Yeah. But, but again, uh, I have no problem with 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 the shit. Cut, cut some angles. Cut some angles. Yeah, cut, exactly. 100%. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. All right, let's uh, let's go to the next one. There, I think we we, we covered that one pretty quick. Um, this one's another one pretty easy. Uh, maybe not easy, but I think it came down to a lot of the same votes as far as listeners. Uh, we'll see what you guys have. Uh, Jordan, do you want to lead us off for story of 2017 and your interpretation of story, your story of 2017? 
Yeah, man. My story of 2017 is I'm actually excited about the heavyweight division for the first time in a really long time since Kane was healthy. Uh, so that, it's kind of broad. It's not really like a, a one thing, but it's the fact that Francis Ngannou is as interesting of a heavyweight prospect as we've had in a very long time. Like this guy, when you think of a heavyweight, you think of a devastating striker. And that that was my thing. Like, I never thought Kane was going to really be a huge star because he he's a good striker, but he's a combination puncher and he's a wrestler. He's a grinder. I, that's not what most people, the, 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 the general public thinks of as a heavyweight. What do they think of when you think of a heavyweight prize fighter? You think of Mike Tyson killing dudes. You think you think of uh, Muhammad Ali out there just outclassing people. Joe Frazier, George Foreman. Uh, you think of even uh, Brock Lesnar. A guy that's just a big, powerful force. Francis Ngannou is what you think of when you think of a heavyweight. He is a big, intimidating, physically imposing guy who has off-the-charts, world-shattering power. And that's the f- it's the first time we've had a guy like like Mark Hunt obviously hits hard. There are guys who hit hard, but th- like this is a new level. This is a guy who I truly believe, if he goes out and let's say, uh, obviously I think the fight with Stipe is, a, is an interesting fight. Let's say Francis catches him 35 seconds and knocks him out cold. You've got yourself a superstar. That is a superstar. And what the UFC heavyweight division could use more than anything, this would be a huge shot to the, the, that division. Just get it. It would be such a step up. And this is, in all honesty, the first time I've been excited about the heavyweight division since we had a, a, a young, healthy Kane. And this is, I'm actually more excited now because I truly think Nganu's got superstar potential. No, that's that 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 that's a great pick. You know, this is a really good building year. Now that you're, you're when you're mentioning that, as far as like the heavyweight division goes, where uh, you know a division that needs new stars and and really seeing these storylines kind of come together, and it's been really an exciting year. Even just you know looking at what you know. Stipe and Miocic, you know, as far you know, Stipe yeah. Miocic and you know JDS at two eleven, and you know the yeah. title defenses going on in hand. Matt, Matt, do you have uh, anything to add to that pick? I I do love it. I love it. I love that. That's like one of those, you know, there's a lot of different storylines you take out from the year, but that's one that, you know, didn't, didn't necessarily come to mind, but it's so right in a lot of ways, man. And obviously Francis is at the head of that. And of course this impending title fight coming up, man. Oh my goodness. It's so exciting to look forward to. Right? Isn't isn't this uh, the first time you've been really excited about a heavyweight title fight in a really yeah, long time? Yeah, it, it really is, man. Especially considering yeah. how Francis is coming off that brutal knockout of, yeah. of Overeem. It was it's on Sports like, Center, man. That the UFC doesn't make Sports Center very often. And that no, was like don't. the number one thing on Sports Center. Like people are like, holy shit. Yeah. There there's it's the heavyweight division is so crazy because I mean, you know, kind of what you talked about a little bit earlier. It's like, you know, you get touched one time, the fight can be over. And if Francis touches you one time, the fight is over. And Stipe also has that same ability. And yeah. so it's crazy. But the only thing, the thing that makes this fight so interesting is we haven't necessarily seen Francis push at all. So, yeah. and I think, I think that Stipe has that ability to do that. Right. And that's what makes it really, really damn interesting. And I can't wait for this fight, man. I can't wait for this fight. Matt, I'm gonna fire it right back at you, my man. What uh, what what will be your story of the year for 2017 then? Ah, my story of the year for 2017. Uh, let's see. It didn't even take place inside the octagon or inside the cage. Floyd Mayweather, Conor hey. McGregor. How can this not be on your at least your short list? Because right. the ridiculousness that is and that was that entire event. A UFC champion literally went into the boxing realm and fought. Floyd freaking Mayweather. And it's just like, 
even though I saw it happen, even though I saw the incredible buildup that was that world tour that got a little wonky after day two, (laughs) you know, but all of that, all of the pre-fight promotion, the fight itself, Connor winning at least two rounds, arguably of that fight, you know, you can say Floyd coasted, whatever he was, you know, giving the fans what they wanted, of course, and that that was probably actually the case, but still, yeah. The fact that that fight was at least somewhat competitive for a few rounds was mind blowing to me, you know. And the you can't like just looking back on it. Floyd Mayweather fought a UFC champion, and the UFC champion came to the boxing ring to do it. It's just it's amazing. I, I'd never thought that that would actually happen, you know. When when the whole rumors of it started out, and then. The fact that, oh, it started getting some steam and then like, oh, okay, we're actually doing this. Floyd's actually tweeting about it right now. And he tweeted out a poorly photoshopped poster about it. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and then we actually got there. And it's it's an amazing moment, man. And for me, one of the biggest stories of the year, um, one that can't be denied, even though it didn't take place inside of the inside of a cage. Dude, that, that, that wasn't that like one of the top three or top five Twitter tweets was the fight is on tweet by Conor McGregor. Uh, I believe mm-hmm. I saw some kind of metric on that, but no, I'm going to add in real quick because it wasn't mine. It was almost mine, but it was the listener's top choice by a clear stretch for story of the year for Conor and Floyd. And I'll add by saying that I almost actually put this one for shocker to be honest for me, because for me, it was more of a shocker just because again, as much as the fatigue and all the, quote-unquote issues that have been created since this whole thing, right? Um, It's easy to forget the positives of it, which was the fact that this was even happening in the first place, guys. I mean, even as just a a martial artist before I knew what the UFC was, growing up with martial arts and boxing, always having that question like, what if a martial arts guy got in the boxing ring? What would that style do? You know, having these questions at a young age. So, again, uh Connor really, you know, embodied that. So again, not not being a hater on Connor or or the boxing talk, which it it may sound like and feel like, especially at this climate, you know, since. But uh, I have no problem admitting to to my feelings on, on it at the time, and and even in retrospect, it really truly was a special thing, and you mm-hmm. you can't take away from that. And even though we want to make fun of you know Dana White saying best year ever, and you know we can accredit it to that, <laughs> and you you don't want to you know you don't want to you know brag about you don't want a business model that brags about your best year being something that had nothing to do with your sport and cost cutting, right? We don't want that to be the reason why your bottom line is the best. But that being said, it really truly did whether we want to hear it or not. It really had a wide reaching effect. Um, mm-hmm. Not just from MMA, boxing, but even within media. I mean, people that know, you know, within the know, uh, and, and you guys obviously uh, get what I'm saying here with this as far as, you know, w- we demonize it. We talk about clicks. Everybody was in a click hunt. And, yeah, there was certainly a lot of that. I'm not saying that there wasn't. But what that kind of traffic did and what that allowed to do and any type of traffic, good or bad, is good for our sport, whether we want to admit that or not. So I guess what I'm trying to say in that sense it did so much that we can't really, you know, kind of comprehend that 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 that, that event did. So we, you got to give it credit. Um, uh, yeah, Jordan, do you want to add anything to the Connor Floyd pick? Uh, I I mean, obviously, it was it was definitely something I thought about, uh, and it, it's it does make a lot of sense that that 
it, it affected the landscape of MMA as as much as it did, even though it was a boxing fight. Because this is, uh, I mean, just think of the ripple effect that it's had. You've got uh, Anthony Joshua talking, Steve Miocic saying, "I'd fight Anthony Joshua." First of all, <laughs> no, you wouldn't. Shut up. Shut your mouth. Because that, that that's not going to end well. You no. Uh, but but I mean, yeah, everyone's talking about going over in boxing now because I mean, let's be honest, boxing's been around for hundreds of years, and so it's a much more established sport. There's way more money in it. I get why guys want to do it. They see the paycheck Connor made off of it. Right. Connor's out there making multiple million dollars. So and good for Connor. Connor talked his way into it. I do. I, I I'm one of the Floyd defenders where I'm saying the only reason Connor, if you want to say won any rounds is because Floyd was just letting him tire himself out. I mean, Floyd was never in peril with that fight. I, I was watching it with a group of people who were all rooting insanely hard for Connor McGregor, which I, I mean, I get it. You pick your guy you want to root for, but <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I question. Let me just say this. I question some people's motives for rooting for certain fighters. Yes. Uh, a lot of it based on skin tone. Yes. And I'm like, I, I feel like it's just deep seated racism. Like all these people who are just rooting against Floyd Mayweather. But anyways, uh, yes. it was obviously it was hugely impactful for boxing and for and you know what? Outside the MMA world, this was a big shot in the arm for boxing. Boxing mm-hmm. needed it, man. Boxing was—it's it, slowly uh, getting a little more uh, kind of thrown by the wayside, and, uh, and and this was a big shot in the arm for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so supremacist comes awfully close to supercharged, but I'll go with supercharged, and it's certainly supercharged. <laughs> it's supercharged a lot of McGregor's fans, uh, to say the least, during that during that whole stretch. But no, it was you know it was say what you will you know positive and negatives they're really all true. Um, because yeah, mm-hmm. and that and they, and they really you know you can't that's what you're going to get when you truly have a, what's the word I'm looking for but you know those kind of events that 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 transcend whatever category they exist in they're just so big they they almost act like a black hole at that point right they just attract right. all comers um, so so let me just attach my my story of the year because it's kind of apropos to the, the 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 theme of at least climate but a little more toward our sport and my story of the year though I wanted to say Connor and Floyd for obvious reasons. Um, I chose to I, I wrote down the interim slash UFC title um, because I don't know if there's a really delineation between both and really both are under scrutiny slash topic this year. Really, yeah, it's really reval. I hope not permanent. I'm not trying to be an alarmist, but you know, you, you <laughs> want to talk about a year that puts something in perspective. I mean, it really put the value of a title in perspective, you know. Um, It it took all the past negatives from an interim title where people said, I don't want the real title. I I want the interim title. I want the real title where now it's – we hear people that are actually oddly okay with the interim title because, oh, that's right. It helps your contract. It helps business. It guarantees you a potential shot with one of the floating champions, whether it's GSP, McGregor, or whoever the big right. name floating champions are, right? And we're seeing these weird scenarios, or as the the the, the title fights, you know, we're seeing uh, the champions like Woodley, who are actually defending it the most, getting scrutinized the most, whereas then you right. have other fighters yeah. not defending it, or, or you know, all of a sudden stating rules about their title. Um, when they just kind of won the belt, uh, or your division was just created, and I'm not trying to throw shade, but uh, you know, let's just be honest. Like, let's, let's, what the fuck are we doing? Sorry, but uh, like, I mean, so uh, you guys, I'm sure have a bunch of opinions chambered. So I'm going to throw it to you in a second. But yeah, essentially, it was just the title versus the interim title, and it was a thing that I used a lot. Where again, I'm not trying to be a a Connor hater or or a GSP hater, but 
when you have guys that have the craziest win streaks against the craziest odds against the opponents that nobody want to face, like Ferguson, Holloway, or Whitaker, and these are the interim champions, something seems right. backwards about that, man. That the, the most badass dudes in any resume have the pound-for-pound pound, pound pound best resumes actively, right? Active resumes, mm-hmm. active fighters, those guys, they're the interim fucking champions, guys. They're the interim yeah. motherfuckers. <laughs> How are the most impressive champions in the most deepest divisions the interim fucking champions? Sorry, uh, Matt, do you have anything to add to that story of title interim? I mean, uh, I echo all of that, man. It's, it's so true on so many levels. But, I mean, the, the lightweight division is the only one where I felt like if you had to have one this past year, it had to be there because yeah, of the whole true. Connor Floyd thing. Yeah. But it, the one in middleweight is just like, okay, it's, it's just silly. You know, because <laughs> because Michael Bisping came in and then he decided to, I don't know, like bring up these old feuds again and let's go fight Dan Henderson instead of a top contender. You know, just stupid stuff like that. And then <laughs> the fact, the only thing I like about the the interim title like you kind of touched on it there was the fact that, yeah, it helps guys get more money and then they know, you know, what their next shot is going to be per se. But that didn't necessarily always guarantee, though, you know, because still Tony Ferguson, like, may get passed over by Khabib. Like, he's the interim champion and Conor McGregor is going at Khabib on Twitter. And we all know what that means. If Conor is starting to go at Khabib, people are going to be interested in Conor versus Khabib. And Tony is going to get screwed somehow, even though he's holding an interim title. So are we going to have, like, you know, two, like you're going to have the champ champ and then the half champ fighting people that aren't each other? Like, it just doesn't, I don't get it. Like, those types of scenarios create this kind of cluster right here. When you make the second title fight or the second title in the division and something else comes up, because we all know this is a sport and where crazy things can happen where a guy can catch fire and all of a sudden the fans start getting behind this guy really, really big. And then an injury can happen and that could screw up something else. There's just too many variables for me, at least to say, here's this interim title and he's going to fight this guy, this guy who's been away doing this whole thing in this whole past year. We don't know when he's necessarily going to come back. Oh, and in the meantime, this other guy who's just been tearing up the scene and he's finally healthy again, (laughs) you know, there's just so many different variables. I, I just don't like it because it can hold up a division, even though it's intended to make things more clearly. So, I don't know. You know, it's just weird thing. I, I do like your pick there, though, because it, it has been a big story between the interim titles, the, the new titles themselves, and then guys being vocal about, eh, I really don't care about the title. Let, let's just make a new belt, new belt like Eddie Alvarez was talking about. You know, <laughs> let's just make our own most violent man title or whatever. So. I like that. Jordan, do you have anything to add to the title talk? Yeah, it feels like Matt. That was very well said, Matt. I, I feel like uh, the next big thing that's going to happen is there's got to be some kind of shift in the the culture of of the title contention uh, because you look at the the, the uh, of the landscape of boxing right now and they're starting to cut back. They're stripping people of titles because they want to condense. They have too many titles. You know, you got the WBA, the WBO, the IBF, all these different titles. And I think what the UFC is doing right now is you're starting to kind of branch in that direction. You've got your sure. champ and you've got your interim champ. Like you could go through and count. I, I, I what is it? You think almost 50% of the divisions have interim champs at this point. That's kind of fucking crazy that you've got two guys that are at the top of the heap. So, so I, I they've got to, they've got to make some more strict, uh, 
I don't know if you make more strict rules about stripping guys who are inactive or or what you do to, to kind of prevent this situation from happening, but it's 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 a bummer for all cases involved. I know that it can be used as a bargaining chip, kind of like you were talking about, Dan, for guys when they're renegotiating contract, but uh, by the way, what the fuck happened to the fighters you did? That kind of got swept yeah. under the rug. That kind of <laughs> fell apart. Aren't they supposed to be the ones helping guys to go renegotiate contracts? But uh, but anyways, yeah, something's got to happen uh, to 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 take that down because it's you're going to start to get the same uh, complaint that you get about boxing where it's like everyone's got a belt. Like how well, why is a belt important when you've got seven interim champs? You know, so that that's a, that's a big. I remember watching a <laughs> off topic. I remember watching a Friday night fights on ESPN boxing match when I was like 15, and it was like two. It was a championship fight, and it was guys I'd never heard of, and it's because they were fighting for like the WBO super cruiserweight championship belt. It was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. this dude's like, yeah, it's like, the, the, like who the fuck? No one knows who either of these guys are. They're fighting on ESPN for fuck's sake. It's not even like a big, a big like pay-per-view fight or anything. So I, if, if the UFC doesn't like look into this or try to uh, mitigate this now, it's going to devolve into that. You're going to have four champs in every division. No, that's a great, that's a great <laughs> comparison. Uh, I, I, and I like it, but I don't because it just fits this thing that, I mean, I was talking with, uh, uh, I'm sure I've talked to you guys as well about it, but I know I talked to my uh, last guest, uh, Zane Simon, about it, where it's like I used to swat away all these MMA to boxing comparisons like throughout the years as a fan, but now they're actually becoming very, yeah. very, very tried and true, like from the card structure, the matchmaking, the title structure like Jordan's talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're really we're, – with the promotional uh, contracts. I mean, we're, we really are – Heading in the direction, and just to bow, you know, bow tie this one since it is story of the year. I know I'm not the only person that talks about this, but I have talked about it at nauseum. Uh, so it's at least you know mentioning at least once more, and it's not just the oversaturation or oh Dan Tom, you're going to complain about you pulling your hair out by breaking down. No, it has nothing to do with me or my my own selfish opinion on here. Uh, I, I believe there there are legitimate legs to the oversaturation argument, particularly since we're talking about story of the year, is the lack of, I think, lack of stories, which can make some of these awards or, you know, the, we're talking about, oh, awards aren't as fruitful as last year or this or that. I think when we have a lot of these cards, too, it can be often hard to kind of build up these contenders or, or celebrate, you know, because when we do have a good promotion where we actually have a good promo where it didn't look like the UFC, you know, laid off the guy while, you know, while he, while he, you know, while he was halfway done cutting the damn thing, um, you know, you actually have a good promotion leading into it. The fight delivers, you know, when all these things line up, there, there's so much that has to, ha- to line up these days, guys, and even when it does... It's so hard to get that to stick because we're already having to promote the next the next event. So I'm really I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm hoping for next year they really throw something into the narrative cog to really help things stick to the wall more because I think that's what's going to make the difference from keeping it away from boxing, keeping it to the UFC, keeping the middle class and all the classes of the UFC strong, not just a top heavy event. Yeah, I like it. I like it. All right, let's I do get like to, it, man. Let's get to the last. Let's let's close this out, guys. The last official topic. Let's end on a positive note. So I figure, why not end with feel good moment uh, of 2017? Um, I'll go ahead and kick us off for this one because um, mine's pretty ba- pretty damn typical. Uh, so are the listeners' ones, but we actually ended up on different sides. But I'll I'll just I'll just kick it off with with mine. 
Um, and it, you know, again, there's a lot of lot of feel good moments. I'm actually more excited to talk about the honorable mention, so I just want to get mine out of the way since it was pretty obvious. But it was Rose winning the the title because again, we're talking apropos to what we just talked about: climate of money fights and talking crap and contracts and titles and what what means what and remembering you know promotional tools. Well, Rose didn't give a fuck about any of that. She didn't give a fuck that, you know, Joanna was the greatest. She gets the upset that we just talked about already. We covered that. But more importantly, why I'm giving her this, because the post-fight, you know, she reminds us with a positive message. She has her platform. She has her moment. She can, she can puff out her chest as much as she wants, and she says, just be good people. Just fucking be good people. And it's so simple. It's so... It might sound like an easy, an easy pick, and, but, but it, and, and it was. It really felt like it, for me at least, because it hit home for me. So I got to give it up to Rose. Um, Jordan, do you have anything to add on to that one? Or? That's a good pick, man. I mean, Rose is obviously already likable. She's already likable for two reasons. A, I think she was likable on the Ultimate Fighter season she was on, that we got to see a little more of her. And she's uh, in a relationship with Pat Barry, one of the most inherently likable dudes on the planet uh so you know that she's probably pretty cool if she's uh she's doing that but yeah i mean it was a good message and while we're on the idea of uh good post-fight messages how about fuck racism hashtag francis Ngannou. yeah <laughs> yeah and, and slavery <laughs> oh yeah fuck slavery yes. that was the other yes. one god damn it <laughs> I, I, yeah I, fuck slavery i will fuck whatever you want me to francis just don't yeah, fuck absolutely. me absolutely <laughs> just tell me tell just me what seriously you want Oh, I I dare say, Matt, do you have anything to add to that? (laughs) Oh, oh man. Oh, yeah. I agree with you, man. This is definitely one of the best stories of the year. Um, Rose is such a good person. I mean, you see that by all accounts. Like, it's not like some front that she's putting on. She's legitimately a good person that's had so many issues with, you know, self-confidence and all that kind of stuff like that throughout her career. And to see it finally come to a head and finally had that UFC strap around her waist and then in that moment to had to be so conscious of you know where she's at and everything that she's been through like you said Dan to still just say that message just be good people you know just be nice like it's not that hard to do yeah. You know what? Uh, one thing that I think I, I, I feel like I need to say about this is that uh, for as much as we know that Joanna is a good person at the end of the day and she's a kind hearted person, uh, I think it's fair to call her out on some of her pre fight bullshit. Uh, the same way that Ronda Rousey was being a little bit obnoxious towards Holly Holm before their fight, and then you saw a lot of the the memes and the 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 mashups and the gifts that people put together of the way she was, you know, the fake smiling ass bitch like talking to Holly Holm. First of all, <laughs> yeah. who, calls Holly, who says that to Holly Holm? Like she's like one of the sweetest pers- people on the planet. And then Holly Holm knocks her out, and everyone's like, "Oh, Ronda got what she deserved." No one really said that about Joanna. When Joanna was kind of being a bully, like to Rose didn't do shit. Rose didn't talk any kind yeah. of shit at all and Joanna was acting like rose was like you know the biggest asshole on the planet so i I, i'm not really part of the i I don't into that you know karma is a bitch type of thing but like i feel like if you're gonna say it about ronda just because you don't like her you should probably say it about Joanna too because she was doing the same type of shit that ronda was before that before that fight yeah and and to that to that point like we've seen Joanna do that in the past where you know she'll she'll kind of get in that persona Mm -hmm type thing but then if her opponent isn't giving it back she'll dial it back yeah but at this fight she didn't dial it back she just kept yeah. pedal pedal to the metal like i'm going full-on bitch mode here and you're you're gonna you know you're gonna have to eat this and then at the weigh-ins the crazy moment that i think a lot of people forget about 
while she was in Rose's face talking trash, Rose is standing there stone faced saying the Lord's Prayer. Like that's some freaking yeah. shit. That's some John Wick people... shit. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. She said you wanted a sweater. Fight the next dance. <laughs> and then Joanna caught them hands. Yeah. Ow. Dude. She's oh, like just like standing with her sweater and her shaved head, like it's just like oh Joanna, you're picking on the special kid and it's gonna go bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's That's what it felt He's like. way stronger than the rest of the class. Don't fuck with him. No, I just, I just, I was sitting there. I was waiting for Rose's nose to, nose to start bleeding, and then to see yes. her force throw, yeah. Yoan off the stage. Oh, yes. He breaks her arm from across the cage. Force throw. Oh, that's great. Oh, Jordan, what, what was your feel good moment of 2017? Uh, so this was an easy one for me, and I don't know if this is a hipster pick or not, but, uh, I think anytime you gain somebody back who's been away is always a thing to be happy about. I think when you gain a guy who is universally uh, credited as one of uh, not only the nicest guys across the board, but one of the most well-liked fighters across the board and a guy who's literally never been in a boring fight as far as I've seen. How about the return of the Korean zombie, Chan Sung Jung, coming back from his military service and an injury four years out of the octagon and what's he do? Goes out and knocks out a top 10 guy in two and a half minutes. Uh, so how about the return of Chan Sung Jung coming back? He's back in the 145 pound division, shaking things up and uh, just, uh, I mean, the dude's never in a boring fight. So it's obviously makes the, the division 10 times better. Just him coming back dude i didn't even i didn't even see anybody have this pick dude great one uh this was this was not only points for again early of the year pick which are always harder to pull but uh, again an under the radar pick because a lot of my feel good moments as a fan guys i don't know about you um are attached to chan sung jung over the years whether wc 48 that was my griffin versus bonner moment where i was like hey are you guys watching this and it felt like it went viral to his epic fight, Dustin Poirier, one of the first, I believe that was the second five-round main event in UFC history, I yeah. want to say, or something like that, yep. weird. And, um, and yeah, and then then, then you know, come back full circle uh, after losing to Aldo. Um, that was amazing. I, I picked against him, and just because of the sheer layoff, my heart was with him. I just, you know, you don't know what to expect Four from a guy. Yeah, from Four that years. long. And he comes out and in just first-round knockout uppercut, like a, a complete timing-based move, mind you. And just yeah. <laughs> ices him and gets him out of here. Uh, Matt, anything to add to that pick? I love that pick, man. I love it. And uh, again, another fight I was fortunate to be at this year. That's right. Right before the right before Super Bowl, and uh, seeing him in there, man, it just seemed like he didn't lose a step whatsoever. He it was just like he had been doing this the entire time, just smooth, calm, confident. You know, while Bermudez was coming at him, he was still like, you had this aura, like. The fights that you can tell, like, that have this, you have this feel as the fight's playing out, where it's like, okay, this guy's getting his offense off right now, but just, it just feels like there's going to be a moment here where this guy is just going to unleash something to end the fight. And that's exactly what I felt watching that. You know, it just felt like in a man, it was just going to be a matter of time before Bermuda's got out of there. You know, and it's sure enough, that's exactly how it played out. Wow. No, no, yeah. yeah. So go ahead, Jordan. 
Oh, I've got a soft spot. Like he's one of my favorite fighters because he was one of those guys that, if you follow the WEC, you know he was in that crazy fight where yeah. he got robbed against Leonard Garcia, yeah. and then he's got a crazy fight with George Roop where he got head kick KO'd. It's like, damn, that that sucks. And then he finally get you know the WEC dissolves, it becomes part of the UFC, and then he gets his rematch with Garcia, and he fucking twisters him, and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. And then he goes in, he goes, <laughs> he goes in at, at a at a it was like a fight night. It was up in Can uh, or no, it was UFC 140. It was a big card in toronto against mark hominick hometown guy crowds behind him everyone's going crazy joe rogan's like man this place is electric mark hominick's in here and he knocks him out in seven seconds <laughs> he knocks the hometown guy out in seven seconds and i remember i was watching that at like a buffalo wild wings or like a tilted kilt or some shit and like and like i'm like oh dude this uh this korean dude's fucking awesome and everyone's like who I'm like, no, I've been watching him in the WEC. He's fucking awesome. And then, uh, you know, Joe Rogan was talking a lot about Mark Hominick. He's the hometown guy. He's been Sean Thompson, blah, blah, blah. And, like, you know, he's this good striker. And then Zombie fucking dude. knocks him out in seven seconds. And everyone's like, holy shit. <laughs> like, so that's like, dude, I fucking love Korean Zombie. That dude is in so many really good fights. That reminded me of uh, Dan Hardy post like GSP. Like, oh, he's like yeah. I went the distance with GSP. I'm a better fighter now. It's one of those losses where the guy feels the guy and the audience both yeah. feel like they're they're higher off of the loss. But then he right. goes out and gets iced by Condit right in the first round. Right. Like, that was kind of the same effect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Matt, Matt, what's your uh, what is your feel good moment of 2017? Oh man, mine is. Uh, oh, before I get into mine, real quick, I have to ask: Did either one of you own the Korean Zombie T-shirt? No, yeah, no, I didn't. I've got it. It's, I've got it. It's too small for me now. <laughs> <laughs> because I bought it back in like two thousand fucking nine or ten or whatever the fuck it was. So it's been like seven years, and I've drank too much alcohol in this time. <laughs> I drank too much alcohol. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's still in my closet. Yeah, that's nice. good. Probably the best T-shirt ever. It is, dude. It. Yeah. Nope. There's a topic. Oh, yeah. Future topic. Top five. Right. <laughs> All right. So let me get into mine. I think this is one that's gonna. You know, fly under, way under the radar again, going going hipster. Again, it, it wasn't super hipster for me because it came up when I thought about feel-good stories, feel-good moments. This is one being a Texas guy that popped up on my radar pretty quickly, and that was Hurricane Harvey, Derek Lewis in the work. Yeah, yes, nice. Rolling that big-ass truck throughout the floodwaters, helping people up, and in nice. particular, the one story about him helping the guy that was trying to save his freaking Confederate flag through all right. of this. And Derek right. didn't give a shit. He was like, get in this truck right now. You know, like, I'm getting you out of here. I don't care. You know, I don't care about any of that. He's like, I'm from Texas. I see Confederate flags all day. Get in the damn truck. It's like, you're going <laughs> to drive. You know, Man. so that kind of stuff. And then working with the UFC to donate money to the relief and everything like that. That, for me, was, was one of the feel-good stories of 2017. Dude, I got chills down my, my spine just as you're talking right now, man. That's that's an amazing one. I'm surprised I didn't see any. I'm surprised it slipped my mind because that one definitely – I was already a Derek Lewis fan before that. But how are you not a Derek Lewis fan after that? Um, seeing the videos and just, just again, his not even his attitude. Just his attitude about it from that to even just his reluctance to take credit for the damn thing or his efforts and all the ant bites and crazy shit he suffered. And mm -hmm. stuff that he put on his truck. I think he did like uh, a couple grand. I asked him how much grand of damage he did to his truck. I think it was like nine grand or something of, you know, da just just damage and maintenance. I think he had to do to that big pickup. But uh, Jordan, anything to add to that pick? 
Uh, I mean, that's a, it's a great pick. First of all, he's, he's, Derek Lewis is a better person than I am, like clearly <laughs> for doing that. Because if I, I am a white guy, if I saw a white guy trying to save a Confederate flag, I'm like, eh, like this is, this is just fucking evolution doing what it needs to do. At this point. If, that, if that dude's trying to save a, a fucking Confederate flag in, in the middle of a flood, like I'm gonna let him try to do that. He but made his that, life choices already. Exactly. But Derek Lewis is obviously a very good person for, for doing that. And that's just a, that's a triumph to his spirit and his his his, uh, his how much of a good human he is. But let me just say this. Derek Lewis should be everyone, if not their favorite fighter, in their top five. Not only for his, uh, his good, like, outside of his actual good human being thing, just the kind of character he is. He's fucking hilarious. Yes. He is yeah. such a good character. Like uh, his first of all, where around where around a Rousey fine ass at? Like that <laughs> post fight interview. Yes. How fantastic is that? And then oh, yeah. he's going having an actual <laughs> interview talking about how mad he is at missing the McRib for yes. training yes. and to take it out yes. of his opponent. Come on. How how does everyone not love this? How is he not so like good. a household name? Like the dudes, he's like my mouth is watering right now thinking about Carl's Jr. and I'm going to take it out on Casey <laughs> Overdue. That is phenomenal. That is amazing. And should be sponsored by every fast food restaurant in the state of Texas. But that's a great pick, Matt. Der- uh, Derek Lewis is a monster. He's awesome. That's great. All right, guys. Since we're up against the clock, I'm just going to wrap up the rest for this feel good. Uh, first of all, the listeners, their choice was GSP. That came in first. Uh, I can't hate on that. You know, GSP is a lot of uh, clout, a lot of fans that follow him. That's going to make a personal pick that I completely understand. Um, sure. Rose was another one. People want me there. I guess cool. Uh, Diego Sanchez, if you saw that work, I, I'm not sure what the gentleman's name is, but he did that setup match. Uh, oh, the yeah, special the, match. The, uh, yeah, Isaiah something. He's a he's a gentleman with Down syndrome. Yeah. Yes. Yep, yep. That was a great one. Uh, uh, people loving DC, finally loving DC. By the way, I'm sorry for not attaching. Uh, there is way too many. Uh, I, I, uh, a good thing. A good thing. More of you guys participated than I thought, A. And also, B, some of y'all that participated didn't write, like, Shocker of the Year. You just kind of wrote the answers, but then also didn't do it in the same order as I listed. <laughs> so I had to, like, do, like, a, I think this is what he meant for his feel-good. So tallying these up also took me a little longer. Not complaining. I appreciate the participation. You, you lazy motherfuckers. But, but yeah, so if I'm not going the extra mile to credit, yeah, I'm at least getting, make sure, I've at least gotten all the, the choices in for what it's worth. But um, here's here's the three that I liked. One was... Pickett versus Vera because it was a setup Ooh. for Pickett to get his retirement fight, but Cheeto Vera wins in London, and Cheeto Vera just an amazing post-fight speech where he was just like, "You respect Pickett, he's a fucking legend," and he's just like with yeah. his heavy accent, yeah. but it's beautiful, it's so endearing. Um, Junior Albini able to you know after he gets his first UFC win and able to buy his kids toys for something more than they, before he did the diaper thing I'm talking about of course pre-diaper yeah pre-diaper Albini pre-diaper Albini <laughs> and uh, and and a quiet one uh, how about Paul Felder walking with his ashes his father's ashes to the octagon uh, fighting mm-hmm. Stevie Ray in Scotland and being the first guy to stop Stevie Ray by strikes I believe in his hometown. And then Felder flies and auditions and lands his commentating gig for Dana White Contender Series within like 12 hours of that emotional roller coaster of a fight. Having to go through fight camp with your dad dying. Oh, and by the way, you have a huge audition after some impossible fight against a really tough dude. Um, and that may or may not lead to future commentary gigs. So now we're, he, fast forward just six months, he is one of the <laughs> brighter commentary star studs. So a really cool moment there that uh, I had to add in. Any of those you want to t- touch on before we get out of here, guys? 
you know, I love the fact that you know we did throw in Paul Felder on this episode somewhere because he had a hell of a year. Yeah, you know, he did. just for all the stuff you mentioned again, he was one of the three and O guys that I talked about earlier as well. Um, yeah, man, big year for Paul Felder and going through, like you said, that emotional roller coaster, the ups and downs, the highs and lows, and it's kind of crazy when you think about it that in a, you know we're in a sport where guys get hit in the head a lot, like day in and day out in training that fighters are some of the best commentators of this sport, mm-hmm. yeah. especially in the UFC. So it's, it's just, you know, one of those little things that you kind of take for granted, I guess, at times. But I agree. Yeah. Jordan, any any uh, thoughts on those four? Just a real quick funny anecdote. Chito Vera saw him fight uh, down in Nashville when Sam was fighting. And uh, after his fight, he won uh, via via triangle real quick into the night, didn't have a scratch on him, went back, got his three-piece suit on, came out and started hitting on fighters, girlfriends, and sisters. Yeah, oh my Chito wow. Vera. Chito looked like a little st- – like I don't think he was tied down. This is back in like 2015. I don't think he had a little kid or anything at this point. But, he, uh, yeah, he walked around in his three-piece suit, and I remember it was Jean Herrera – John Herrera's dime piece of a sister was sitting right there, and Chito was like, "What's up? I'm Chito Vera. How's it going?" Like, just I was like, oh, "All right, wow. I see how it is." The Latin <laughs> flavor, yeah, Vera. Oh man, well, it got, nice. guys. Uh, I'm gonna while I, while I queue up one thing, I want you guys to queue up your bold predictions because that's how we're gonna end the show. But before we get there, while you guys are queuing those up, I know I kind of might have surprised you with that, but um. I invited some of the hardcore listeners if they wanted to share some favorite moments of this show, even though it's young, it's young uh, Inception that doesn't deserve an audience but seems to have one. So thank you. Uh, one of the one, one, and I'll just select a real quick one here. This is a friend of the show, normal listener at Hip Hop since '76, Jiu Jitsu. Uh, he, he said he, he he wanted to give me some love for the Brazilian impressions, the Edson Barbosa impressions. And uh, anytime I've commented, which which I know for a fact, Jordan, the last episode, you're part of this. Anytime we've commented on Rogan and his thoughts about Czech Congo, so <laughs> so essentially anything I mean, offensive I mean, that if, I did, he appreciated. So thank you. If a guy won a fight based on looks alone, Czech Congo would be forty five and zero. He's a comic book character. <laughs> you look at me; it's like a superhero. He's chill, Mike. <laughs> I was listening to Rogan. The, the, like I said, I was listening to Nowitzki. Even on today's Nowitzki podcast, I love it too because I poison other people's head. Because people will be like, "Dude, ever since you said the thing about Rogan and his thighs, I can't fucking stop hearing him talk about it." Damn you, Dan! And those are my favorite tweets because even I was listening to the Nowitzki Rogan when they're talking about Holly Holm and they're like talking about how she's been tested the most and how that's impressive because the whole conversation is about drug testing and Rogan, of course, interjects and how about her thighs? Like out of nowhere, like what? He's always focusing on the thighs. Be like, oh, she's got a piece on her, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, she's got a piece on her. So, uh, do you, any of you guys want to volunteer yourself for these bold predictions here? Uh, what are you looking for? Just a uh, bold prediction for twenty eighteen? Yeah, it doesn't mean anything too serious. It's something yeah, yeah, you know what? I mean, I'm just go out and say that. Uh, uh, here, bold prediction: T.J. Dillashaw beats Demetrius Johnson. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, that is a bold prediction. The fight will happen, and the teacher yeah, will upset the pound yeah, I'll for say pound. Yeah, the fight King. happens, and okay. TJ wins. Yeah. All right, Matt. I like that one. I'm mad at it. Um, I got a couple of quick ones that come to mind. I guess. Uh, let's see. Conor McGregor will fight in the UFC. Um, Zabit uh, Magomed Shapirov will be a, a household name by the end of the year. Brian Ortega will get the title shots. Um, yeah, I mean, those are the mm. couple of quick ones. Um, maybe Jermaine Durandamy will come back and actually fight at 145 <laughs> against Cyborg. 
Who knows? Real quick, I just want to say Brian Ortega, try hard. Dude, that is the worst nick. I still am going to ride with this. That's the worst nickname I've ever heard. T-City? I love T-City. I love it. It's like it's the first thing he came up with, and then he was just like, yeah, let's just go with that. Like, it was like, all right, do a lot of triangles, uh, triangle city, T-City. All right, boom, done. It's like, do you you got, you got don't have to turn the assignment in until Friday, man. It's Monday afternoon. You've got some time. Like, work on it. Like, like just work on it a little bit. It, 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 just, reminds, it reminds me of like the like the middle school like Sandlot baseball nicknames yeah, where everybody's got like Showtime absolutely. and Bam Bam and stuff yeah. like, like that's why I love that nickname. So I know much. it's yeah, it sounds like his twelve year old brother came up with the form. He's like, well, I can't be <laughs> I can't be B Rock, so I'm gonna be T City. I think exactly, exactly. That's why I love it. That's why I love it. It's a little throwback to me. I guess I'm in the middle because I think it's like it's so bad it's good. So I guess that puts that's me bad. in the middle, you guys. But uh, here's my two. Here's my two. One's an extension off my last year bowl prediction. I thought. Valentina Shevchenko was going to be a champion, and she had her chance twice, if you think about it, but uh, they only fought once, and she lost that fight with uh, Amanda Nunes, so she didn't get it, but I will kind of extend that bold prediction, perhaps it's the degenerate better in me, perhaps it's the, the hardcore Valentina fan in me, the diehard Valentina fan, I believe Valentina Shevchenko will be the 125-pound champion uh, by the time that year, maybe not too much of a bold prediction, but here's a, here's a bold one, not only will Conor come back, um, this is bold because it, this is predicting what his second fight is going to be. But uh, this is this is this is this is super bold. I will predict Rafael dos Anjos versus Conor McGregor finally does happen, but it happens a weight class above than what it was intentionally supposed to. Because Damn. I like Woodley, but I feel that dos Anjos is a bad matchup for him. And unless something uh, star gets born, which is the problem that the UFC inherently has right now. Unless that happens, that fight has to happen by mid-year. So, which means if Dos Anjos can upset Woodley, he probably at least has one more fight to go in 2017, especially without having to cut the weight. Whereas McGregor, no matter who he faces, Khabib or Tony, whether he wins or loses, I don't see him sticking around that lightweight division to wait for the other guy if he's lucky enough to beat one of them. And if he loses, as he's probably projected to, to either Khabib or Tony... He is still looking in money fight land, which would have to rely on Nate, who has shown he is more than happy to spit and shit in his own cereal at the negotiating table and, 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 and exclude himself. I would not be surprised for Nate to shoot himself in the foot again. Um, and, well, what's going to be there? Well, what about McGregor's initial move that got him in the money fights in the first place, which we forget. There's a poster at Extreme Couture, Dos Anjos versus Ferguson, the original money fight that got McGregor out of featherweight. I think that could be revisited. That's a Super Bowl prediction, but I will stand by it. Oh, okay. On that note, how, how about give a shout-out to RDA's uh, foot injury that sprung everything that happened to Conor McGregor since then. That's true. Jesus. Good job, Cyborg, blocking that kick, you bitch. Jesus, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, if, if one of those happens, we can all take credit for it because that's how this works, right? Okay. For, for both yeah, predictions, absolutely. but uh, but man, 2017 it was it was a better year than I thought. Now that we've wrapped this show up, and, and thank you guys for joining me and recapping it. Absolutely, I'm glad uh, glad yeah. you brought me on, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Well, before we get out of here, um, any 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 last words, Jordan? You want to maybe plug the pound for pound podcast? Anything you got going on? Where the folks can find you on Twitter? All that good stuff. Uh, yeah, check out the Pound for Pound podcast. Uh, it comes out typically on Tuesdays. Uh, myself, Smiling Sam Alvey, and I can't say anything specifically, but let's just say there should be some news of a fight from my friend Sam Alvey coming up shortly. Ooh, 
Good. Good. Interesting. All right. I'm, Interesting. I'm, I'm already subscribed, so I'm just going to make sure I'm listening extra closely in, on the episodes that drop <laughs> from here on out. Matt, what about you? Where can they find you? What do you got going on? All that good stuff. Oh, man. You can find me on Twitter at Mr. M. Wells Art. Facebook, I have a Matthew Wells MMA page as well. Um, and also listen to me on the Slip and Dip podcast with my co-host, Kendrick Johnson. We usually do those. Those usually come out on a Monday. Uh, or Tuesday, depending on which day we record. We're recording tomorrow. We're having Kevin Leon and one other special guest. So it should be a fun time. Awesome. Nice. An- another one of my favorite podcasts that I'm subscribed to. If you're not, you should be subscribing to both of them. And if you like what you hear, make sure you give them five-star ratings and reviews. We appreciate it here at the Protect Your Neck podcast as well. Uh, we're just going to go ahead. I'm going to tail on on with the wrap-ups to get out of here because we're up against the clock. You know, you can find me at Dan Tom MMA, the podcast, at the PYM podcast, of course, hosted at MixedMartialAnalyst.com, where you can find the Amazon and Onyx click-throughs. Thank you guys for clicking through this holiday season. Thank you for sticking through with us for this award show. And uh, as for usual, in 2018, enjoy the fights to come, but always protect your necks.